This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Folks, my take radio episode one double zero. That's right, folks. Episode one hundred for Thursday, July fourteenth, two thousand and eleven. The intro you just heard was uh, off the Guilty Gear soundtrack. You also had uh, some stuff provided by Slick, and here it is, folks. Episode one hundred of MTR. Before I even get into anything, I just want to take an opportunity to thank all our staff, Slick, Andrea, Bronx. Josh, our partners at Unveil, um, our content partners, MMA Valor, for just pulling pulling through for us when we needed them most and stepping up to provide a lot of cool shit for episode, well, for multiple episodes of MTR, as well as MyTakeRadio.com. I am, just like I said, I'm very happy to have made it this far, only because I wouldn't do it if you guys weren't super good with it now, you know, just everybody tunes in, people contribute where they can, I'm speechless, not only that, but we also on July 9th celebrated two years of doing live broadcasts on Blog Talk Radio, there's been a lot of growing pains along the way, primarily because obviously Blog Talk Radio issues, audio issues, guest issues, people thinking that they're a lot bigger than they should be issues, Etc. cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this is it, folks, episode 100. Tonight I'm going to be joined by Jeff Damalin from Spike TV's Deadliest Warrior. He's been on MTR now. This would be his third appearance in celebration, of course, of our 100th episode. But not only that, he will be joining us to talk about the upcoming third season of The Deadliest Warrior. He was on before with Max Geiger. That was the first time. The second time it was him, Max, and Dr. Dorian. Jeff is coming in solo, as far as I know, but things are always subject to change, so he should be joining us shortly. Also, you're going to hear from some of our peers out there from other shows just congratulating us on our 100th episode. I want to thank those guys for taking the time to record their little spots so we can have a couple of laughs with that. In addition to that, I believe at midnight, uh, my buddy Amazing Red will be calling in as well. 
letting us know what's going on with him. Definitely want to talk to him about Destination X, his House of Glory Wrestling Academy, and a couple of other things as well. We got What the Fuck Movie News, because it wouldn't be an MTR without that. So let's get right into it. Next week, I'm going to be joined probably by Kelly Krieger and Lex McMahon from Alchemist MMA. They are the management team for Nate Marquardt. I'm actually going to discuss what's happened with him this week, and next week we'll see where Nate is going and what his plans are in the sport of MMA. So we'll be doing that next week. I will be actually doing an MTR Beyond the Mic tomorrow with Andrew Clippin from Boxy. So we'll be talking about the Boxy service as well as the Boxy streaming box. We'll be doing that exclusively for our My Take Radio app. So you'll be able to pick that up if you have it as part of the Beyond the Mic series. And I believe that episode, we're going to be recording it tomorrow morning. So it should be live on the app probably by Saturday afternoon due to some editing that needs to be done. So we'll be doing some stuff with that. And we're also probably going to be doing an MTR behind the mic with Kevin Baird from VGN probably within the next two weeks. So be on the lookout for that. We got a couple of new articles up. We got a really great article from Bronx regarding Super Street Fighter 4 Arcade Edition. If you're a fighting game fan, I recommend you go check it out. See what the deal is with that. And also, just to remind you guys, we are looking for new writers. We actually want to expand our talent pool. So if you know you like the stuff we we cover, you actually have at least passable grammar skills, send me a sample of your writing to mtrhost at mytakeradio.com, and maybe we can have you on board to write for My Take Radio. First off, it's not a paying gig, but if you want to gain some exposure, get your work noticed, by all means, send me a sample and we'll probably work something out. In addition to that, we did one of our first hardware reviews this week for the Plantronics GameCom X95 headset. Actually put in about 12 to 14 hours of testing with it, of voice chatting with uh, my nephew Jonathan and his buddy Andrew, who I know is in the chat. Got to give him a shout out for helping me test that stuff out as well as my nephew John. And got to thank Plantronics for supplying the headset, which we have reviewed the reviews on mytakeradio.com and we will be returning as per what we feel is the, the thing that's going to separate us from everybody else. We're just going to review and return. If they want us to keep it great, if they don't, Hey, we'll, we'll figure something out. Also our on live giveaway will probably go live next week. I think I figured out a way to do a giveaway for that once the review for that is done. So if you're interested in the on-live service and would like an on-live micro console, courtesy of My Take Radio, then definitely tune in for episode 101, and we will give you guys the details on how to win that. Also, our Get Glue check-ins are coming along very well. We're getting a lot of really great numbers from Get Glue. If you're a Get Glue user, do yourselves a favor. Stop by our Facebook fan page, check in there, or you can even check in on MyTakeRadio.com as well. Our merchandise should be up and running. I'm hoping this week we're probably going to bring back the original Tribal MTR t-shirt just for starters. And then we got a couple of other designs in the works that you'll be seeing within the next couple of weeks. We're also going to try and do some different stuff with video. I actually had recorded an unboxing for the GameCom headset. And needless to say, it was a very frustrating experience, but I am actually going to record something to post on the fan page after tonight's show, just thanking the fans directly on the fan page for 
supporting us all the way to episode 100. I think that pretty much covers everything. Some of the stuff we're discussing tonight, of course, season three of The Deadliest Warrior, Destination X. Raw gets punked by CM Punk once again. We got some game news with some MPD numbers to discuss. We got a ton of movie news, including some what-the-fuck movie news that are definitely cringe-worthy, and I know many of you guys are going to enjoy that for sure. All right, I'm going to just get into some MMA before Jeff calls in, so let's hop to it and not waste any time. All right, first up, we're going to talk some Strike Force first. It seems that Strike Force middleweight champion Cyborg Santos may have signed a new deal with the promotion, but the company has not gone public with details. A Strike Force rep has been saying that the company doesn't have any official word on the contract status of Cyborg. Santos's manager, though, Rudimar, Rudimar Federico, said on uh, last week that they had completed a contract re- renewal. And Santos and her reps were unavailable for comment following the news from Strikeforce. Now, a couple of things that bug me about this particular situation are, number one, Cyborg is one of the most dominant female MMA fighters that I've ever seen. That's number one. And the funny thing about that is that she's never been promoted as such, which is really a second issue I have. If if when Gina Carano was there, she was, quote-unquote, the face of women's MMA, and, you know, she did Maxim, and she did all this shit, then Cyborg, who defeated her soundly, might I add, just doesn't seem to be getting that same push from Strike Force. I mean, don't get me wrong, the first thing people are going to say is, well, you know, she doesn't have the same look Gina Carano had, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but you know what? We're not. We can't promote women's MMA just based on looks alone. The whole per, the whole purpose of promoting of the sport of MMA is number one, talent marketing fights. That's of course number one because if if guys don't sell fights, you're not going to be interested in seeing it. Number two, of course, is ability. If you got good ability and you can't market yourself correctly, sometimes your ability speaks for yourself. In Cyborg's case, her ability speaks volumes about her talent. And it really has disturbed me that the promotion hasn't gotten behind her the same way they got behind Gina Carano. So I can see her frustration. But the other thing that concerns me also is the fact that there really aren't any fighters there for her to fight. I mean, Marlos Kunin can fight her possibly. But other than that, I haven't really seen any other female MMA fighters out there that can really step up and pose a challenge to Cyborg. I mean, the big money fight is a rematch with Gina Carano, but who knows if they're even going to go that route, especially because Gina Carano withdrew from her past Strike Force fight, and now she's going to be, you know, at the San Diego Comic-Con promoting her movie Haywire. So very, very convenient. She withdraws for quote-unquote medical reasons, but she's healthy enough to promote her movie at Comic-Con. Hmm. Now, again, I'm... I really don't have an inside track on what her deal is, but I just find it very, very strange. And not only that, I just am disturbed at the fact that Strikeforce doesn't do more to promote your number one 
middleweight women, you know, women's middleweight champion better. But we'll see what happens in the coming weeks. I can only hope that we start seeing some some news from that camp because I really would like to see Cyborg fight again. She's exciting to watch, and all her performances are always spectacular, and they always end in really exciting fashion. So I hope they iron out their differences and we don't end up seeing Cyborg in a WWE or TNA ring just sullying all the hard work that she put into the sport. In some UFC news, I got some news for UFC on Versus 5. Uh, that's going to be taking place August 14th at the Bradley Center in Milwaukee. There were a couple of changes. Uh, first off, Tom Lawler is being replaced in his fight with Kyle Noak. He's being replaced by Ed Herman. And the card is as follows. On the main card, you got Dan Hardy versus Chris Lytle, Ben Henderson versus Jim Miller, Dwayne Ludwig versus Amir Sadala, C.B. Dalloway and Jared Hammond was rumored to be on the main card, but I've been hearing that they may move that to the prelims and actually are going to be moving up Donald Cerrone versus Charles Oliveira to the main card, which is a great move. Uh, the Cowboys are great, an exciting fighter to watch, and honestly, he's the type of he's the type of fighter you want as an opener for your main card. Not to say that C.B. Dalloway and Jared Hammond can't open a card in exciting fashion, but Donald Cerrone is definitely a guy that you want to open up your card. Also, on the prelims, you got Joe Benavides and Eddie Wineland, Ed Herman and Kyle Noak, Ronnie Marquez versus Carlos Vemela, Alex Caceres, Bruce, a.k.a. Bruce Leroy, fighting Leonard Garcia, which I'm actually looking forward to seeing, Cole Miller versus TJ O'Brien, Danny Castillo versus Jacob Christmas Volkman, and Edwin Figueroa versus Jason Reinhardt, and of course, C.B. Dalloway and Jared Hammond, which may, which may be moved to the prelims now that Cowboy Cerrone and Charles Oliveira are going to move up to the main card. Very pumped for that, and that's going to be August 14th at the Bradley Center, and that will be on Versus. Not on Spike TV, so just make sure you note that. It's going to be on Versus. Free MMA, never a bad thing. In some other UFC news, UFC Fight Night 25 is starting to come together as well. It's going to be headlined by Jake Shields versus Jake Ellenberger. That's going to be taking place September 17th from the Ernest N. Morial's Convention Center in New Orleans, Louisiana. Actually looking forward to that fight. Jake Ellenberger's been on a, tear, on a tear lately, and Shields is coming off that loss to GSP. There's going to definitely be some fireworks for sure. If you're in Louisiana, the tickets will go on sale to the public July 30th. But UFC Fight Club members will be able to have early access and purchase them on the 28th. A couple of episodes back, I announced that Hatsuhioki was signed with the UFC, and he will be making his Octagon debut against George Roop at UFC 137. Hioki is a former Sengoku World Victory Road champion. He has a 24-4-2 record, and the main event for UFC 137 is going to be George St. Pierre, versus Nick Diaz, and that's going to be happening October 29th. I've just been notified that Jeff is here, and I am going to bring him on the air, because we have a lot to discuss. <laughs> Jeff, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Rich, congratulations on episode 100. Thanks, brother. Welcome back. You know, third time here. I appreciate you taking the time from your busy schedule to stop by, celebrate episode 100 with us, and Give us some information about the upcoming season of The Deadliest Warrior. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. What do you want to know? Well, first off, since the last time we talked, I know you've put a lot of work into GTD, and you've also been working on a couple of things. 
before we even get into the season, what have you been up to since the last time we spoke? And uh, we'll oh. start with that first because, you know, I love the show, but, you know, you're you're a kick-ass dude, so I want to know what you've been up to. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate it because it allows me to plug uh, stuff, but, uh, you know, it's it's been crazy, man. The show has just opened up a lot of doors and uh, – doing some expert witness testimony. I finally got uh, GTD off the ground and uh, and uh, running, you know, basically everything through the company now and uh, and it's working out well for me. And uh, got some new t-shirts in the line, which is uh, which is always nice and uh, doing a lot of appearances, public speaking, um, other consulting gigs, finishing off the doctorate. Uh, I just did my first defense, which is a pass, and uh, just scheduling my second defense for uh, the middle of September. So hopefully, if there's a season four of Deadliest Warrior, we'll have uh, we'll have two Doctor D's on the show. <laughs> and uh, and other than that, man, just uh, yeah, unfortunately, like an ostrich, just keeping my head, uh, uh, you know, uh, either just above water or. Uh, you know, underneath the ground to kind of uh, shelter myself from all the work I've uh, buried myself in. But uh, you know what? It's it's all good, man. I mean, opportunity only comes uh, once in a lifetime sometimes, and so I'm uh, I'm riding the wave as high as I can and as long as I can. Yeah, I I've been you know of course I've been following you on Twitter and you know on on Facebook, and you've been doing so much, especially going for your doctorate in between doing all the stuff with the show. I know that, you know, you you guys have been involved with the, trying to get the game, la- you know, the second game now launched. I, I've seen you on the, you know, Video Game Awards, the Guys' Choice Awards. You, you're all over the place, man. You know, they got you. They're marketing, they're, you, they're marketing you really well. <laughs> they are. They are. They're getting their money's worth for sure. And, uh, and you know, it's a hell of a ride, man. I mean, uh, it's it's something that I never thought I'd ever be involved in. And, and grateful for the opportunity and, and uh, honestly grateful for the, the work I've found myself in, in my day job as well. So uh, I, I really can't complain. Well, of course, you know, being being involved in, in biomechanics and, and stepping into so many other avenues, besides the Deadliest Warrior, what other, what other projects are you working on that are using that level of expertise? Oh, uh, well, my day job is uh, where I utilize most of it, and uh, half my time is spent investigating injury and uh, basically the five W's around a a particular injury. So an example might be, you know, blast injury. Um, Another example might be whiplash injury. And so you try to investigate all the five W's. You do a whole literature, literature research. You might find some holes. You'd run some studies to fill those holes. And then once you think you understand that injury, um, you kind of flip the coin now and spend time engineering a prevention. So for, I mentioned blast injury, you would, uh, you know, either redesign a new helmet or, in fact, you know, create a, a new visor for an existing helmet out there or, you know, and I mentioned whiplash, so you might be looking at different types of headrests or even, um, you know, back, you know, seats of cars and, and can they become active or dynamic uh, seat adjustments during a car accident to help to prevent these injuries. And so you engineer a prevention or, in fact, you develop a new treatment. So that's kind of how my time is split over over my day um, at my day job. And then, um, but it's also used on, on a lot of these expert witness gigs. Um, 
I've had the uh, Vancouver Police Department give me a shout and uh, on the recommendation from an old professor, actually, and, um, you know, help them figure out or give insight to uh, homicide cases here in town. Um, there was another case that came up um, in New York City, in fact, and uh, it's a federal case, and uh, so I'm putting uh, my tool, my skill set, uh, into that where, you know, I don't, I don't want to say too much because it's still ongoing, but uh, definitely um, within my skill set and using it, utilizing it, and utilizing it in, in a gray area, which is which is interesting because if it was black and white, they would never give you a call in the first place. So uh, because it's a gray area, I get to, uh, you know, it's it's really, for me, is the pinnacle of the use of of that skill set is to do you know to do uh, work in the court of law and I and I, I again I'm really appreciate for uh, grateful for the for the opportunities and the, and the work but um, other places we're using it um, we've got a book proposal on the go it's been a little slow just because all the co-authors that are involved on that are uh, really busy and uh, and things of that nature but. Uh, you know, it's we've all got very specific skill sets, and and although I'll be talking about engineering and biomechanics in that particular in my particular chapters, we're hoping to do a uh, chapter on the behind the scenes of Deadliest Warrior, and even tie in, you know, a hand to hand combat chapter, and tie in, you know, all the different martial arts that have come on the show. And so I talked to Dan Jang, who's uh, you know one of the head honchos at Spike, and just run it by them and say, hey, is this something that you guys are cool with? And you know, obviously we can't use logos and, and things of that nature, but we can certainly say that, you know, I'm one of the hosts of, of Deadliest Warrior and and, uh, and have a, you know, very legit chapter where we tie in um, knowledge about these uh, these martial arts, but then also tie in behind-the-scenes stuff that happened on the show. And I think that's a very, you know, cool way to kind of give people something, you know, of of substance, but then also turn in, into a little bit of entertainment there where they get to learn about the show that they never got to see on, on television. And, uh, and so it's not going to be like one of these things where you read this chapter and all of a sudden, you know, what, what level, what belt level am I now? You know, it's going to be uh, informative, but it's not going to be having pictures of guys like, okay, this is this move, this is that move. And I've always had a, an issue with those kind of books because you can't learn martial arts from a book, but it'll be meaty enough that you kind of understand, you know, how these systems were built over time and how they evolved and, and why they evolved that way. And, and uh, you know, you might be able to pick up a few philosophies, but it'll be more of an impetus to go try a system um, that maybe you haven't, uh, you know, tried before, but in fact find really interesting due, due to the book. So, so we've got stuff like that going on. Uh, that's a ways out, though. I don't see that ever, you know, coming out this year even. I, I bet you if, if that happens, it'll probably be a 2012 thing and hopefully uh, tie it into a season four um, if it happens. But, um, yeah, that, that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> the long well, version. One thing, one thing I noticed, too, that you've been doing is you've been – uh, taking the opportunity and catching up on some different different martial arts disciplines while in between seasons. So I know that you were working, I believe, at one point with Russian Special Forces. How's how's that been working for you, and how have you diversified your your skill set 
since, you know, in between seasons, now that you've had so much hands-on time with so many different martial arts disciplines? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't working with uh, Russian martial arts uh, special forces uh, specifically, but there was a guy who was in the Russian military and is now training the Sistema system that was brought on um, and showcased on Deadliest Warrior during uh, Green Bray versus Spetsnaz. And that was really the impetus for me is when I was punching Maxime and, and he was absorbing it, I'd never seen anything like that. And And one thing that happened that you never got to see on that show was that we actually sparred, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of the punches that hit me in the face that I didn't even see coming, and, and he, he was, it was such a different approach to fighting, and, you know, you really get used to, you know, your sparring partners, and, and you know, when these MMA fighters and UFC fighters talk about who they're training with and why, it really makes a lot of sense, because you kind of get used to, whoever you're you're going up against and uh, and this was something that I hadn't seen before and and really intrigued me and especially after he could take you know my punch and being such a huge difference in our size factors and everything like that so I I took it upon myself to look up a school when I was in Calgary uh doing the last bit of research for my doctor and and I uh, was training with Calgary Sistema and uh, if you're interested they're they're at calgarysystema.com and uh great great bunch of guys there and uh and I learned a lot it's it's very very different from my karate background um but I think you know I added added some things to my skill set but I, I at the same time it's funny because I almost feel like I'm tied to karate in a way is when when you learn that first discipline all those postures all those that footwork all those uh, the way you um, use your body to deliver a punch, it, it's hard to break um, those uh, those habits, those old habits. And, and Sistema was just so different that I found it, you know, difficult to get to good at it quickly. But uh, I think in the end it was necessary because it's a very loose system. It's very, very loose um, and very, very relaxed, whereas karate is very, you know, stiff and rigid and, and uh, hard and, and and like I said, there's pros and cons to both methods, and and I think you know out of all the systems that I've looked at, um, I'm currently in Vancouver at my day job, and uh, there's a gym here that had contacted me um, a ways back, and and they do jiu-jitsu there, they do MMA, they have actually one of the few gyms in Vancouver that has a full size octagon right inside their gym, and. Um, and the last UFC, I think it was UFC 131 that was here in, in Vancouver, uh, they did all the press at uh, at that gym, and the gym's called Tactics. And, and Lorian's the guy that owns it. He's a really, really good dude and um, uh, has been really good to me. We sell shirts out of that gym. And and uh, and like I say, he just wants me to come down and train. I'm like, okay. And, and, and this guy's got a really good background in Krav Maga. And Krav is, is one of those styles that really did feel very, very natural to me and, and, uh, because it uses a bit of, a little bit of system, a little bit of uh, karate, but mainly natural motion and, and, uh, and also a philosophy where, you know, you deal with the fight within the first 30 to 45 seconds. And after that, it, it should be enough to get you out of dodge and, and that's the whole idea and you kind of come in there with uh you know four five six techniques maximum and uh but if you fully commit 
within that first 30 to 45 seconds should be enough to get you out of dodge, and that's kind of the idea of Krav, and, and it's very, you know, simple but effective. And, you know, the, the saying goes in Krav, you know, you learn it in the morning and you can use it at night because it is, you know, simple and effective like that, and, and it kind of, you know, rang true for me. And the more that I, I learn about, you know, high-stress incidences and things of this nature and, you know, black belt or not, man, a lot of that stuff goes out the window and you really do rely on, you know, two to three to four techniques to kind of get you out of that situation. And uh, and uh, so why not train the way you fight instead of, uh, you know, breaking down. Uh, and I'm not knocking anything here, okay? I got a lot out of karate, but, uh, you know, why practice kata when there's nobody there in front of you and you're air punching and, and things of this nature just so you can you know, learn to stand properly, and and, uh, and I'm not knocking it at all. I got a lot out of it, but uh, this system just seems to make sense for me at this time in my life. Well, you know, that's it, it, just watching that progression, especially with with you having so many MMA fighters on. One, which which leads me to my next question. On this season, I see that you guys are going more for for one on one confrontations with certain historical figures. At any point, are in this season, are we going to see? more of your existing partnerships with, with the UFC and seeing MMA fighters involved, or are you guys going to go strictly for more of the analytics and the breakdown of the combatants? We're going for more of the analytics and the breakdown of the combatants. Um, we're not going to have a UFC fighter on this year. Um, as to why that is, uh, you know, I, I, I have no idea. I'm not involved in those, those situations, but uh, we got a lot of good things, man. Like, I mean, it's... Uh, if you want to start getting into season three, I mean, this is probably a 20 minute conversation because it's almost a new show, man. It's almost a new show. We've got uh, so many new things. Um, and first off, we've got, uh, you know, Richard Makowitz or Mac, he likes to go by and he's an ex U.S. Navy SEAL. And, and really what Spike did is they, they sat down and they analyzed the show basically scene by scene, act by act. And and said, okay, in you know, because there's there's a definite format to the show, right? And so when we're doing a particular thing, like uh, like the simulator, okay, so sit down. What are what are the fans saying about the simulator? How can we make the simulator better? Boom. You know, what is the fans saying about how we're you know giving the edge or you know running the test? You know, well, here's a solution to this. Boom. And they kind of went through the entire show like that and and uh, and I saw it made every element better this year and and uh, like I say one of those components is the strategy and tactics that Mac brings to the show and uh he, like I say he's an ex navy seal he was also a, a former um instructor with the seals in both uh seal team 1 and I believe seal team 2 and uh you know and because of that he brings a very good uh you know, knowledge of strategy and tactics. And one of the new segments on the show is what we called Chalk Talk. And Chalk Talk has this uh, touch table where you kind of draw in a football X and O's pattern. Uh, you play out uh, an actual battle that occurred in history, and he does that with one of the experts from each side. And so not only do you get to see the weapons uh and how they perform on tests like we traditionally do on the show, now you actually see, you know, how 
you moved that weapon into the battle space and, and where you moved it and why you moved it there and, and how it was integrated into the other payload uh, that uh, that warrior class was carrying. So that that's a new thing that I think people are going to really uh, bite into. But we've also got, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the new SIM. Um, the, the new SIM is now being developed by the... Uh, uh, the guys over at Pipeworks, and Pipeworks, of course, is the company that develops the Deadliest Warrior game. And I don't know if you guys knew, but uh, the Deadliest Warrior game actually involves some of the data from the show. They were trying to make it as realistic as possible, and so because they were using actual data from the show, they, uh, you know, would, were already developing a digital combat simulator. So it just made sense that, you know, and even from a marketing standpoint, if you think about it, I mean, every show that's going to air now in season three is essentially a commercial for the game because you've got the head developer, which is uh, Robert Daly. Robert Daly's the head developer over at Pipeworks, and now he's on the show, and he's the guy that's going to be running the sim this year. And uh, and so I thought it was just a very, very slick, slick uh, solution to to, uh, you know, trying to make the simulator better and kind of killing two birds with one stone on, on multiple platforms with that decision. Um, but, you know, another thing that we're considering in the simulator this year are, is historical data. So, you know, you've got a particular battle that played out, and, and you know how these things are documented. They're very carefully documented. You know exactly, you know, what happened on the battle space at what time, and then you can look at you know, for this particular warrior class, what was it about that battle that made them win? You know, was it the terrain? Was it the weather? Was it the, you know, the technology difference between um, them and their opponents? And uh, and vice versa, you can take, you know, break down that battle and take a look at how that warrior class lost that battle and, and factor that as a weakness in, into the simulator. And so what we've done is taken this historical data and uh, applied a number from zero to 100 and uh, 100 being, you know, the absolute best possible scenario for that person on that factor, um, or zero being the absolute weakest in, in that particular factor, and, and factored that into the sim as well. Uh, well. Damn, you guys, you guys have made a lot of a lot of alterations. Now, of course, you mentioned that the developers have switched now, and it's more it's now being handled by the developers of the game. Now, I'm going to ask you something you you can you can answer or not. But, you know, what happened with Max and what happened with your relationship with Slytherin Studios and, and doing the the stuff for that? I mean, you know, I know that he kind of, his departure wasn't really elaborated on. If if you're at liberty to answer, by all means, I you know, I welcome a response. But I had to ask only because, you know, you and Max have been on for the first two episodes and, you know, Max was a cool dude and, you know, I consider him a, a friend also. So I was just curious as to, was it a change in direction based of, upon creative differences, which I have some questions about that as well, or was it just something where you guys wanted to evolve the show and he wanted to do something else? Uh, you know, when you say you guys, please, you know, please don't involve me in, in, in no, that no, 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 no. umbrella. Yeah, because no, no. it's a, it, it's a, I, oh, there's, there's not much I can say. Like he, I also consider him a friend and, uh, and uh, you know he's going to be missed. And uh, but at the same time, I will I will say this: it was a it was a mutual parting, and uh, and that's pretty much all. And that he'll be missed, and that's pretty much all I can say. But 
Um, you know, when I was talking to Dan Jang about uh, about this book, you know, one thing that I asked him is, I said, hey, I want to tell the, the Max Geiger story. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and of course, i got to run that by Max, too. I haven't talked to him about it. But, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting how things function down there. You know, like, it's, it's a very different world, and it's been very interesting, uh, you know, coming from a non-entertainment-based uh, background and, and seeing how things function down there. And it is, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's a very streamlined, almost militarized um, uh, entity where you've got this hierarchy of, of people, almost just like, you know, you do in the military where there's a sergeant, there's a major, there's a colonel, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, with the showrunner and the producers and the senior producers and, and stuff like that. And, and you've also got this, uh, you know, very focused team. You know, like anyone who makes it down in Hollywood um, does it on blood, sweat, and tears, man. I mean, these guys don't get um, a lot of money, and and they work their butt off, and they are so incredible to work with. The, the, the attitude that I was greeted with at 6.30 a.m. every morning was just, you know, I'm happy to be here, and, and I'm going to make this show as kick-ass as I can. And, and I just really... And it made it an absolute pleasure to uh, to show up every day, um, and but you know there's this side of Hollywood too that uh, you know that no one really talks about and and uh, and and is kind of you know greasy and uh, and raw and dirty and and uh, and sleazy, but and, and, but you know and you, you find those elements everywhere, right? But it's just interesting how. Um, all that kind of comes together and plays out, and and the egos, and uh, it's 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 a crazy place, man. It's 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 one of a kind, and and you know that's why they make uh, you know songs about it, and people uh, riff on it, and and, uh, and and go crazy on it. And, and I'm just really, honestly, 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 um, you know, very fortunate to to be down there and and uh, soaking it all up and 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 learning as much as I can from it too, because. Because the way it functions and, and the way people are down there, it's they're just so creative and so very different from from the people that I work with every day and, and the backgrounds and, and education, how things function. And so it's been a real, real interesting uh, learning curve. But uh, at the end of the day, I think it's been very positive. And I think, for you know, to bring it back to Max, um, you know, it was just uh, – uh, you know, like I say, uh, I love him to death, and uh, it was a mutual parting, and, and he'll be missed, and, and uh, hopefully, I can tell the full full story in the book. Cool. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to put you, Johnny, on the spot with it, but I had to, I had to ask only because, you know, I, I follow you guys closely, uh, you know, because of our relationships with 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 you guys, and you know, with your PR rep, and I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? So I, I had yeah. to ask that. And um, the the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I want to ask about certain things in the season, but I, I got to ask you about this vampire versus zombie <laughs> nonsense. And um, look, I love you guys. I, su- I support the show. I have both games. But going in that direction, I mean, it's cool that Max Brooks was involved. I've read both of his books and stuff, and, and it's cool. But were you concerned when that was presented to you that, that it would – kind of jeopardize the integrity of the show and make people view it a little differently? Uh, uh, <laughs> all these difficult questions, Rich. Um, you know, I mean, not at all. I mean, it, it was a, it was a total freaking surprise. Okay. Like, 
And honestly, it was like one of those, that information that kind of hits you and you kind of got to think about it and digest it a bit before you even get an initial feeling about it. It was just so out of the box, so unexpected that, you know, I didn't even know where to go with it, to be honest, when, when they, when they uh, told us. And it was funny how they told us because they took the doc and I aside and uh, we were in a green room, a private green room, and it was just uh, the showrunner and the executive producer, and um, and they told us, and and I was I was floored, man. But you know what? You know because of that, and we knew, you know, I think there was a little bit of concern uh, with some people, like exactly what you're saying there. Um, I think there was a little bit of that concern, but. How did we deal with it? And this is where I think, um, you know, 44 Blue, I think Spike, and I think everyone on the team that made that show happen really delivered. And uh, let me explain to you, because and because there was that concern, everyone kind of stepped up, brought their air game, and said, how do we ground this? How do we make this show work? And so what we did is we brought in guys like Steve Niles, who's, of course, the screenplay writer of... Uh, 30 Days a Night, which is a modern uh, vampire movie. Uh, you mentioned Max Brooks. And not only that, we felt the need to go further than the logic that those experts provided. We actually um, put together an advisory panel of people who helped develop the logic around what a vampire is capable of doing throughout the years, okay? Like we're going back to, you know, um, you know, way, way back anyways, and and the guys who have helped develop uh, zombies over the years and all the graphic novels and movies and this and that. So we really got a, a, a broad range of experts on who helped develop this, these characters or these fictitious, uh, um, you know, uh, warriors. And, uh, and based on what they were telling us, you know, how strong is a vampire? Okay, well, it's you know, X amount times stronger than the average human, X, X amount times stronger than an elite athlete. Okay, well, now we have a baseline. Now we can start to, you know, generate and produce a test around that logic. And, you know, and, of course, the doctor got involved. You know, we're talking about zombies. We're talking about the zombie virus. So how does the zombie, or I should say, how does the virus actually mutate? How does it get transferred from one human to another? And so this is, you know, real medicine that we can bring into the show and help describe what we're seeing in the simulator. So if we're, if we're worried about, you know, a numbers game, for example, like strength and speed of the vampire versus a numbers game with a, a zombie, you know, uh, explosion, you know, how fast can a virus actually replicate? Well, who better than to talk about something like that than a physician? And, um, you know, and then the mechanics involved and the strength of the blows and things of this nature, you know, if we've got this expert advisory panel telling us that, hey, it's X amount as strong as, as an elite athlete, well, now we can bring in an elite athlete and actually take measurements off him, make the calculations, and then develop a test that actually, you know, has those numbers integrated in it. So, uh, and that's where where I came from. And then, and then, as far as Mac was concerned, you know, he was concerned about grounding it in real strategy and tactics. You know, how would you know a zombie actually go? You know, within their capability that we were given by these experts, what could they actually pull off? And so that was how we went at it. And and we even accounted for, 
you know, daylight and nighttime as far as when a vampire could be, uh, you know, most active or, or most effective against a zombie. Well, in, in, re, in researching that, and, and, you know, as hokey as it sounds, from, from, a, from a medical standpoint, especially with, with researching the zombies and looking at, at how that can evolve from a medical standpoint, is, based on all the research you've done, can, can, that, can that even be remotely possible? Just from a medical standpoint, we all know that we joke around and we're like, oh, yeah, we'll survive the zombie apocalypse. But just you as, as a medical professional and, and looking at it from, from, that, from that angle. How do you see that in terms of just of it being a virus and the reanimation of dead skin and things of things of that nature? How'd you how'd you approach it and did you say, hey man, this this may, this can be possible in some shape, way, or form? <laughs> oh man, that's that's a question for the doc. I mean, he joked that whole episode that he was going to lose his medical license uh, by being on that show, which is kind of funny. But uh, you know, there's there's certain. Um, you know, medical conditions out there, and, and I know untreated rabies is is one. You kind of get these frothing at the mouth and, uh, you know, aggressive or weird behavior. And But honestly, you know, just because I'm a biomedical engineer, I'm certainly not an expert in viruses, and, and that would be a question for the doc. I'm, I'm more a mechanics guy, biomechanics guy. And so, you know, when we're talking about... Um, uh, you know the tests that were developed, and you'll see, you'll see. I can't talk too much about it when, but when you see what tests were actually developed and how we pulled them off, that's kind of my uh, my area. Well, from from a biomechanic standpoint, just just the fact that you know that that the, that the brain has uh, so basically when when describing zombies, it's described as the brain having um, a, a, a minuscule spark that allows the most basic of bodily functions. And and you know limited motor skills. With with that with that in mind, and and looking at it just from a biomechanic standpoint, and and examining the human brain, is it even possible for the brain to retain that type of a spark? You know, especially for, for, you know when it's a cadaver. Oh, uh, absolutely I'm killing not. you. <laughs> absolutely not. You're killing me, man. Yeah, you're killing me, but absolutely not. I mean, yeah. There's uh, there's processes that um, are unreversible when, you know, the brain's been out of oxygen for, for too much time. And uh, uh, I think we know that over the centuries <laughs> that people have been uh, dying and not reanimating. But uh, that that in itself is enough evidence for me, But uh, let alone biomechanics. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's not the point, right? I think the point is, is that it's fun. It's that we're going to bring in... Uh, a new audience to the show, but I think we're grounding it in a kind of exploring, you know, what is possible. And you are asking the hard facts, and uh, and we try to answer those as best as possible within the logic that the advisory board gives us. And so um, I think that's where it kind of crosses uh, the two the two streams. And and like I say, or actually I haven't mentioned it yet, we're going to have an advisory, not an advisory panel, but a, a question and answer panel down at Comic-Con this year to help promote that episode because, you know, I think there's a lot of those guys that watch the show, but I think there's a lot of guys like you that are more, you know, warrior-based uh, and uh, and history-based type of people that, that are watching the show right now, whereas a show like Zombies vs. Vampire is going to pull in the uh, you know that Comic Con crowd uh, gain a, a larger viewership, but at the same time, because we're rooting it in everything that we've been 
doing and approaching that show like we have every other show, and in fact, probably better than than any other show that we've ever done. And, and when you see the test, you'll see what I mean. Um, it will keep our core audience as well. Nice. I did. I did want to commend you guys. I last season. I know when you guys were on, we were talking about the um, the Viet Cong and 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 the Nazis and and you guys just going into that realm. And I noticed this year there there are a couple of controversial battles, which which I I, I again applaud you guys for going into that territory, especially you know the Saddam Hussein and Pol Pot going going in that direction, and also discussing you know North Korean uh, special operations force and even Genghis Khan. So I, I, I got to appreciate that. I'm a little, I was a little taken aback by seeing Lawrence of Arabia versus Theodore Roosevelt, but uh, you know, I'll reserve judgment until I see it. But the, the Saddam Hussein and Pol Pot episode jumped out at me only because I, like you were saying with regards to weapons and tactics and approaching that battle that way, would, you know, how did you guys feel talking about a guy who pretty, pretty recently into ingrained in our history now? Yeah, well, that was an interesting... Okay, first of all, let me back up a little bit. Big overview. Spike is genius at creating controversy. Spike is genius at, at thinking outside the box, at taking something that you thought you understood and turning it on your head. And that's what I love about working with them. And that's what I mean about the creativity down in Hollywood. I'm, I'm really quite impressed with all that. And But at the same time, there's new level stuff going on here this year. And, and it's not just, you know, bringing on Pol Pot and Saddam Hussein for the sake of having those names to, to uh, you know, get, get people stirred up. It's not, it's not that. In fact, what we, the, the approach that we took this year was, you know what, evil exists in the world. And, uh, you know, a big part of my job, as I mentioned earlier, you, know, you, can, you kind of have to understand the injury before you can help prevent it. And very similar with these guys, you have to understand that evil before you can defend against it. And so that was the approach that we, that we took, is let's try to get into these, the heads, get into their mindset, and uh, figure these guys out so that eventually, you know, we can get them. And we did, obviously. But, um, but at the same time, instead of bringing guys on that were trying to represent what Pol Pot actually did, what we did is we brought on a person who actually had survived the Cambodian genocide. Okay? Wow. Yeah. And like I said, new level stuff, new level stuff across the board on season three. Okay. And so let me tell you, this guy had stories and riveting stories. I mean, his family was tortured and killed. He had to, you know, uh, you know, get out of Cambodia on his own at 13 years of age, came to the United States and of course loved the country and, uh, and has done, you know, very well ever since wrote a book on it. And I, I have it here at home, a signed copy and, and uh, and honestly, there was one point in that show where Mac, myself, and the doc are all in tears. Okay. <laughs> now, if that's not new level stuff, I don't know what is. And uh, and so it's a it's a very different look at how you know those guys operate that we've done in, in the past. But I think, like I say, the information that we're that we're getting is really, you know, how do we prevent this from happening in the future? And, uh, and you know, there's good men out there doing that, and uh, we're just shedding a little bit of insight on uh, on that for the public. Well, you know, uh, going going that in that controversial direction was 
was something I really liked in the second season, and I like to see it going into the third. When you guys were deciding combatants, did you guys even want to go into, you know, Bin Laden and bringing Bin Laden into the mix like you guys did with Al-Qaeda, or is that something that's kind of a little, a little too close to home at the moment only because his tactics are something that I'm sure people would want to know about only because you're talking about a guy that hid in a country for, for five years and nobody found him. So there has to be a lot of tactics involved there. Yeah. Oh man. You know, that's, there's so much weird stuff going on everywhere. And there's countries that are real good at walking the fence with the United States and other people that are closer by. And I'm not going to point fingers and I'm not political, uh, you know, analyst, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff out there and I'd love to get into it. And, and I'm sure, you know, we may, but, but, you know, the interesting thing about this year also is we had, you know, North Korean special operations forces versus, uh, the, uh, the army Rangers, the U S army Rangers. Okay. And that's a battle that could actually take place. So, you know, it's funny where we actually had to reshoot an intro saying that, you know, hey, this, this is actually going on right now, and for the first time on Deadliest Warrior, you know, uh, we've got a battle that is now actually occurring when uh, when the whole format of the show is that these guys never met on the battlefield, but this is something that could actually occur in the future. And so, um, you know, is it possible that we kind of rehash something in the past? I mean, it is, and it'd be interesting, but... Uh, uh, I think, you know, I, I think the, the best thing for people to do right now anyways is to, uh, you know, have a look at, uh, you know, Mac's comments on it because uh, he was a U.S. Navy SEAL. He talked about, you know, the weapons that, that they would have been carrying and, uh, you know, how they would have gotten into that, that area and how they would have found them and stuff like that. And, and so if you're interested, uh, that's where I would direct you. Oh, awesome. I'll be, I, you know, one thing I'm looking forward to is when you when you guys drop the book too because, to go to go that deep into it and and get more insight is definitely awesome. I was I was also curious because I was um when you guys did the the French Foreign Legion versus the Gurkha episode. Yeah. I've only I've only read a little bit about the Gurkha, but I've heard I've heard that that episode is is pretty crazy too and I wanted to ask you about that. It's absolutely sick, man. Uh these guys uh we actually got a legionnaire on the show um then we got a uh, French military historian, and that's another thing. Another new thing for season three is you don't just have two uh, bulky guys that can wield weapons and then try to talk about the the warriors. So what we did this year is we kind of took a, a brain and, and brawn approach, where you've got a guy who is. We had a lot of PhDs on the show this year that are um, very well trained in a particular warrior class, and then we tried to get. A brawn who could wield the weapons, or actually did wield the weapons in in their day job, so to speak. And so, on the legionnaire side, we had a PhD who has uh, was an expert in uh, French military history, and uh, and then an actual legionnaire who had spent, uh, I think he said about five to ten years, something like that, in the in the with the French Foreign Legion and what he learned and why and. And, uh, and then on the Gurkha side, we actually had a British officer that led Gurkhas in battle as the brain, and then as one of the brawn, we had, uh, I think, a 25-year veteran of the of the Gurkhas. So it was a fantastic episode. And let me tell you, I mean, by my last name, you know that I'm French, and my dad was actually uh, born and raised in France and came over to Canada when he was about uh, 20. 
20 year, years old, something like that. And I remember him telling me stories of the French Foreign Legion when I was a kid and, and, uh, and you know, on how badass they were. And, uh, but also, you know, I was, uh, I don't know if you know, but I was in the Army Cadets when I was like 13. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the Cub Scouts or whatever, but, you know, there's a military aspect to it. And, uh, and I remember, you know, looking through the window of the surplus store, the local surplus store, and, uh, you know, just drooling over the Gurkha knives, uh, the kukris that were in there, and uh, dreaming of the, of the time that I'd have the money to purchase my first kukri because of the legend of, of the Gurkhas. And, and so, you know, that was a fantastic show, man. And, and uh, you know, the time period, too, that we looked at with those guys, and uh, it was just, just absolutely amazing. And both of them really true warriors. And, uh, and uh, again, a great modern matchup. And, you know, another thing that's really interesting about that matchup is neither of these guys fought for their country. You know, the Gurkhas were, you know, in Nepal and stuff like this, and they were, they were being led by British officers. And, and, of course, the French Foreign Legion, you know, those guys came from all over the world and were fighting for France. So it's kind of interesting in the sense that they're fighting more for uh, their buddies and uh, and and for pride rather than um, than uh, king and country, so to speak. Well, you had also a little bit. There was also a little bit of mercenary in there because you know the the Gurkhas also, as as time went on, ended up you know kind of being in that in that gun for hire kind of kind of mindset. So it's 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 crazy to see them you guys depicting them more so as just a, a fighting unit. Then going into how you know they branched off and how they went into all these different uh, subdivisions. So and I that, I was actually looking forward to it just because I'm like, wow, they're going to talk about the Kukri. I've seen that in you know a couple of martial arts films and I've seen it in a couple of movies. And I'm like, I'm like, who the hell uses that on the on the battlefield? So in reading about the Foreign Legion and the Gurkha, I was pretty impressed to know that that's where that came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sick man. Um, yeah, so other new other new stuff is we've got our first uh, female warrior on the show this year. We've got Joan of Arc, and uh, she's squaring off against William the Conqueror. And a lot of people were saying, oh, why are you matching a female up with a male? Isn't that unfair? Blah, blah, blah. But here's the deal. Um, again, Spike is great at churning the pot, and uh, it's going to be a battle of the sexes. And then can you imagine how much... You know, trash talking between boyfriend and girlfriend is going to happen during that show. I mean, it's going to be intense. And But at the same time, from my point of view, it's the most realistic situation because that's how Joan fought. I mean, she led a 100% male force, and she was going up against a 100% male force. So that's how it would have went down anyway. So um, I think it was a great move, and I think it's going to be fantastic. And I had a lot of fun uh, having a a female on set like that. It was really quite weird. You know, we, we had to catch ourselves from, and stop ourselves from saying, hey, you know, good luck, Joan. You know, good luck on this next section. You, know, <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. But, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it was, uh, it, it was a really good dynamic, and, uh, and I think it'll play well. Well, in looking at that, you know, Joan of Arc killed a lot of men in combat. So, you know, putting her in, in a battle against William the Conqueror, anybody that feels that there's a, a, a you know, a, an issue based on gender alone, Joan of Arc killed just as many, just as many men as, as, as certain guys in, 
in some of these episodes have killed. So it's not in looking at it from that standpoint, at least in my eyes would be just something that I'd feel is, has, has really no, no foundation. She, she killed a lot. She killed a lot of mofos. So to put her with William the Conqueror, I think is, is, is fitting. And some of the weapons that were, that I've heard are going to be mentioned. I really am looking forward to seeing applied, especially like a catapult. I want to, I definitely want to see a catapult get used on set. Oh yeah. Um, well, and that brings us to you know another new portion of season three, and that's Dave Baker, the weapons maker. And this is a guy that you know goes out and researches and hand builds these weapons from scratch. And he's always been part of the show. It's just you never got to see it. So you know it's a great new element because it adds so much authenticity and so much legitimacy to the show because. You know, people were, you know, they never knew where we were getting these weapons from. And is that the real thing? And, and uh, you know, and there may be some questions like, oh, did you just order that on the Internet or what? You know, and and really it's not. I mean, he goes out there and some of these weapons haven't even existed for 500 years. And, and so how do you build something that hasn't existed for 500 years? Well, you know, you go to museums, you go to, you take pictures, you take dimensions off it right there in the museum, and then you head back to the shop and, and you get your tools together and you and you try to use the same materials with the same methods to build it um as as uh you know the most accurate replica possible and you get to see that this year there is a segment where he gets to talk to talk through a particular weapon that he's building you see him building it and he talks about how he researched and and things of this nature and so it's going to be it's going to be fantastic it's going to be off the hook man i'm really really excited about it actually and 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 I was even there filming it, so uh, I, I can't wait. I, and I don't know if you know, but there's about an 11-minute clip of the first act of George Washington versus William uh, George Washington versus Napoleon Bonaparte on Spike.com right now. So they're actually you can actually watch the first act of the first premiere show. And um, I'll tell you, you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference. Um, you know, the reenactments are really pro, man. Like, I really liked it, but there's still that campy kind of not taking ourselves too seriously where, you know, there's this guy on horseback that gets uh, his head shot off by a cannon. <laughs> and, uh, oh, that's awesome. and you had to go, yeah, and yet, the, you know, the history and what you're being told, the narrator doesn't skip a beat during during that shot. And uh, and it's just awesome. It's just, okay, we've got the fun back. You know, I shouldn't say we've got the fun back, but we've kept the fun. And yet we've brought it to a whole new level on so many different uh, aspects of the show that, you know, and we kind of said this with season two, but um, I, I don't know if we delivered like we did on season three. I mean, there's just so many new aspects uh, for season three that uh, uh, it feels like season one to me, honestly. It just, there's just, you know, I'm just really jazzed about it. Well, yeah, you sound you sound super pumped. I wanted to ask on the on the Genghis Khan and, and Hannibal episode. I heard I heard mention of a war elephant, <laughs> and I said oh, yeah. to myself, "Did these guys have an elephant on set?" <laughs> I don't know what I can say honestly, but I am pretty oh. sure there's 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 pictures of it on the Spike.com website. I think I'm pretty sure I saw it. So, yes, there is a war elephant, and uh, but again, we break it in. Just so many different facets. Okay, we had a war elephant where we, where we ran probably two or three tests just with the war elephant itself. Okay, then we had, you know, we clocked that war elephant. How fast can a war elephant run? You know, and then so 
and we've got these multi-layered tests this year that you're going to find are, work really, really well. And we go into, you know, particular aspects just so much deeper. And, and so knowing what the full uh, trample speed of a, of a war elephant is, we kind of translated that to a foam target that was, uh, you know, on, on a, uh, I don't know if I can say this or not, but anyways, it's just so cool because th we match the speed of this uh, rampaging elephant to a foam target, and then we had, um, we were trying to uh, compare how uh, Chinggis Khan would actually, uh, you know, line up his uh, his bowsmen and uh, launch bows at this oncoming target, and how many could you realistically hit before that elephant was upon you, and so, but the thing is, the way we set up that that speed was based on a real elephant speed, so that's what's cool about it. And then, and then of course, uh, we wanted to see, you know, what kind of damage the arrow would do once it hit the elephant. So, I I got this new fabrication lab, and we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, you get to see me, you know, kind of producing or constructing elephant skin based off of uh, elephant cadaver uh, photos with, uh, you know, forensic measurements and and this and this you know, things of this nature, and uh, and then construct it, and then we take it out to the field and actually shoot an arrow at it, and we see, you know, how much realistically blood loss would this elephant experience, how much pain would it experience, et cetera, et cetera. And so, uh, you know, the the tests this year are much, much more multi-layered, and, and as I said, there's this new aspect of the show where I have this fabrication lab, we're calling it, or lab sequences, and basically... You know, this is stuff that I used to do for the test all the time is, you know, I'd be sitting in the corner of a warehouse and kind of figuring these uh, equations out on a piece of paper or testing the equipment. And somebody just kind of light went on and just said, you know, he's doing that work anyways. Why don't we jazz up that corner of the warehouse and get him to talk through these equations on a whiteboard and then give demonstrations on the principles, scientific principles behind that. And, uh, and show him actually constructing this stuff and figuring it out. And then, you know, before we pop back into the field and you just see this target, you know, but, you know, there was a lot of work that went into that target. But now you're going to see what work actually went into that target as it plays out throughout the show. So I'm really proud of that as well. And that's a new segment of the show as well. Uh, yeah, you guys, you guys are putting a, a ton of work. And I, I, I did want to ask on, on, the, on the second game, the you know the involvement and in using the historical figures was that was that just to coincide with the season or was that the direction that they wanted to go with all along? Um, you know, <laughs> I'd have to say that uh, I don't think that was planned. I think what happened was, you know, Spike listens to so many people before they make their decisions, and they particularly listen to their to their fans and uh, you know the all the tweets all the facebook posts all the spike.com blog posts and um you know they'll read all those and they'll in fact they'll you know they'll even rank them as you know george washington was mentioned x amount of times napoleon bonaparte was mentioned x amount of times and they'll rank these things and they're, and they're like well you know this particular figure is popular so we've got to you know, we've got to get them on the show and they'll make decisions like that so I think uh, it wasn't. There wasn't a conscious decision of, well, we've got to have historical figures this year. It's just, uh, you know, what would be the best matchup for what the audience wants to see, and I think that's how they go about it. Although I'm not involved oh. in those decisions. 
Uh, no, at least at least it pays to know uh, at least it pays to know the mindset that goes into putting these episodes together which leads me to one thing I did want to ask did we get any any crazy mishaps this season like last season when you guys were talking about you know just blowing stuff up and having a good time was there one particular episode where you're like holy crap I might I may actually die in this episode if I don't if I don't be if I'm not careful <laughs> um yeah, I mean, we're, we deal with live weapons, man. We deal with explosions, and uh, and there's an element that uh, of risk that is always there. But you take the proper precautions to to minimize that risk, and and so uh, yeah, I, I think we we were just fine. There was never a point on set where I thought, oh wow, that was dangerous. Um, no, I mean we've got we've got experts. Uh, like I say, when we when we used the cannons, that was new. And but we brought in uh, he calls himself an artificer. Okay, there's an artificer that builds these cannons from hand, and uh, it's a kind of an interesting story actually. This gentleman uh, was actually a homeless man. You know, lost his wife, lost everything, lost his job. He was homeless, and uh, I can't remember what exactly the story, but. Uh, I think he had handmade a small cannon, um, like a like a handheld cannon, and somebody literally walking by saw it and was in the cannon business, and he said, you know, did you make that? He starts talking to this guy, and he's like, yeah, I made it. And he says, you know what? I need to get these cannons built for, for this and that and the other thing. I'd love to get them built for this museum. And I think he was a, a caretaker, not a caretaker, but um, um, uh, then the person that. Uh, that brings uh, different uh, collectibles into a museum. I can't remember the name ex- escapes me. But anyways, um, he says, yeah, why don't you build one of these for the museum? And so he did, and, and he, and that's what he does now, you know. So he commissioned them, he got them to build this thing, and, and now he builds cannons for people all across the world and, and uh, had these, you know, replicas that happened to be very close to what uh, George Washington used, very close to what Napoleon used. And uh, brought him on the show, showed him how how to use it, and in fact was on camera using it. So, you know, these guys are experts, experts, experts in the fields, and uh, and and we take all you know necessary precautions without you know losing the shot. And um, and uh, and so it's it's a great balance, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's safe. <laughs> Do we do we get to see a lot of gel torso this season? Because I know gel torso became so popular that you know it had its own Twitter. Um, the, the, <laughs> does more gel, more gel torsos get damaged this season? Of course, man. This is deadliest world. What would, we, what would we be without the gel torso? But I will say this: I think there's less gel torsos this year than last year. Um, they cost us a pretty penny, and. Uh, and honestly, when you're looking at things like machine guns and and uh, and different types of targets, like we we really went to the ultimate on on having moving targets, targets behind hard cover, targets behind soft cover, um, you know, targets that were concealed, um, all this kind of stuff. And so when you're dealing with that many targets. You know, it's difficult to have so many gel torsos. And really, then the question becomes, well, why are we using the gel torso? Is it just because it's eye candy or is it because it mimics the human body really, really well? So then what we start doing is 
limiting the use of the gel torso to when we really needed it and when it was the better model to use. Whereas if we just want to see a hit, well, a foam torso, we can see hits just fine, and we can put those all over downrange and, and set up a better test because we've got more targets. Ah, okay, yeah, just because the, the, the gel torso, I can imagine what, you know, how much overhead goes into that because you guys really put them through, through, through their, you know, there were episodes where the head would get blown off. I'm like, yeah, you guys aren't re- reusing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. But sometimes what you might get is, you know, the head blow gets blown off first, and then we get a close-up of something getting sunk into its chest, and so you don't realize that it's the same uh, gel torso, but in fact we are using it twice. But uh, that didn't happen very often, if I recall. Nice. Awesome. Well, I think you you covered <laughs> pretty much everything I needed to know. Um, awesome, man. One, one other thing I, I did I did want to ask. Um, you said that the the book you guys are going to be putting it out probably in, in next year, right? In 2012. Yeah, that's an ongoing project, man. I don't want to you know set that in stone because, like I say, it's a long, long process, and you've got to get the proposal together. We're almost finished the proposal now. Then it's going to go to the lit agent that we've uh, hooked up with in New York, and then she's going to take it to different publishers. And so there's no real guarantee on anything, and, and so there's a lot of steps in there that can go wrong. But we're hoping, uh, you know, why don't we talk about it next time uh, Next time we meet? Oh, absolutely. Next, uh, Definitely, you know, when, when you guys are ready to promote that, you know you guys always got a an open-door invite. Um, you know, before I let you go, of course, you got to – you got to plug jeffdemolin.com and GTD, Bike TV's Deadliest Warrior. So um, are there any other plugs or anybody you'd like to thank before I let you go? Oh, thank. I mean, I'm I'm thankful that, they, <laughs> uh, that, that I've still got my job down there. I mean, it's a fantastic opportunity and has really led to a lot of other opportunities. And, and just a very unique uh, life experience, to be honest. Uh, it's It's been a real, uh, real pleasure working down there. So I thank all of Spike. Uh, for uh, for creating the show and uh, choosing me to be the the scientist on the show and and so that's cool and um, and yeah jeffdemolin.com I'm available for appearances for public speaking um, expert witness stuff any consulting that has to do with injury biomechanics and and uh, if you need to figure out who I am go to go to jeffdemolin.com and and uh, everything's there. And you are also on Twitter. They can follow you, twitter.com uh, slash Jeff Damalin, and I'll also put the the link in the chat. Uh, dude, as always, it's a it's a it's a pleasure talking talking shop with you. Uh, didn't mean to put you on the spot a lot, but you know me, I gotta I gotta I gotta kind of grind it out to make sure I get the most out of you guys. <laughs> you gotta ask the tough questions, Rich. That's what uh, that's what it's all about, man. <laughs> no problem. Listen. Well, you know, I, I wish you continued success, man, and, you know, the, definitely next time you're in New York, you know, drop me a line, get you some lunch, get uh, try and find a place that makes some poutine. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, brother. Yeah, sounds good. All right, man. Take care of yourself, and again, you know, best of luck, and, you know, we'll put a, we'll, we'll have a write-up in a couple of days on the site, as always, and, dude, I, I, I appreciate you supporting us and stopping through also to help us celebrate our two-year anniversary and our 100th episode. Likewise. I hope we can come back for a 200th episode. Of course, man. Open door policy for you guys. Cool. Take care, Rich. All right, brother.
All right, you too. See you around. Bye-bye. All right, that was Jeff Damalin from The Deadliest Warrior. You can get more information from The Deadliest Warrior TV show on SpikeTV.com. You can also follow Jeff on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash Jeff Damalin. I put his information in the chat room, and when we write up the MTR Rewind, all the links for the shows will be there as well. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we will wrap up the MMA segment and a couple of other things also right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. You're listening to My Take Radio, 100 episodes, oh my God. This is Kevin Barron from Video Game News Radio. And I just want to say that I remember when this was episode number one, and it was great. And now look at it. It's the best show on the air. Keep listening. All right. Thanks for that, Kevin. Kevin from VGN sharing his uh, appreciation for MTR for our 100th episode. Just wanted to wrap up the MMA segment uh, before I spoke to Jeff, I was discussing Hatsuhioki making his American debut against George Roop at UFC 137. Just a few other things I wanted to uh, address in the MMA segment before we move on through the rest of tonight's topics. There were some roster cuts in the UFC this week. I was kind of bummed to hear that Ultimate Fighter Season 9 runner-up Andre Winner was released from the UFC. Winner left the company with a record of two and four out of all the runners up in the history of the ultimate fighter there are only now 10 active in the ufc kenny florian stefan bonner ed herman chris lytle manny gambarian cb dalloway demarcus johnson brendan schaub michael johnson and ramsey najem including a winner those that have been released thus far have been luke kumo brad imes josh haynes patrick cote tommy spear philippe nover vinnie magalas and chris mccray so it's unfortunate to see Winner no longer in the UFC, but I'm sure he's going to be involved in a lot of regional UK events, and he'll probably also fight for BA MMA as well. Uh, I, he was always exciting to watch. So you know, two and four. Once these guys lose three in a row, it seems to be almost a no-brainer that they will be cut loose. Also cut loose was John Howard, who was actually very, very exciting to watch in the UFC, and he too was released after three straight losses, but he released a video message recently that he won't be out of of work, so to speak, for long because he's looking at opportunities either fighting for Bellator fighting championships or for Dream as well, so I wish both of those guys the best of luck. I enjoyed watching them fight, and um, whatever promotion they go to, I'm I'm sure they will land on their feet. In some other UFC news, Gray Maynard has been allowed to resume training. He said that his doctor has given him the green light and he could be ready to fight as soon as UFC 136 in October. 
Gray Maynard injured his knee, prepping for a rematch with Frankie Edgar, who had also withdrawn from the fight due to a back injury. So UFC 136 seems to be the target date for that. I really am looking forward to that fight so we can finally see who is the number one lightweight in the UFC. I think after that, we still got Showtime Pettis that may be next in line, depending on what they want to do after his loss to Clay Guida. So we'll see where it goes from there, but I'm hoping to see these guys fight at UFC 136. In some other news, Ariel Helwani broke on MMAfighting.com that Phil Davis has dropped out of his fight with Rashad Evans at UFC 133 due to a knee injury. There was a lot of speculation the last couple of days, including a possibility of Lyoto Machida meeting Rashad. And, you know, Lyoto Machida, quote unquote, wanted that Anderson Silva money, to which the UFC pretty much said absolutely not. Then there were rumors that Tito was going to take the fight. And then they said that Tito didn't accept it. But then it turns out Tito will be fighting Rashad Evans at UFC 133. This is definitely an exciting fight for a lot of reasons. Obviously, Rashad Evans and Tito will be meeting for the second time. Now we get to see if this new reinvigorated Tito Ortiz has the tools to make another run at the light heavyweight strap. So I'm super excited to see that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Tito Ortiz. So we're, it's going to be an exciting UFC 133. The co-main event is going to be Rich Franklin and Antonio Rogerio Noguera as well. In some other news, Nate Marquardt, who, of course, I was discussing earlier on in the MMA segment, has been cleared by the Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission. Um, he actually has passed all his medicals and met all, all his requirements, so his, suspended has, his suspension has been lifted. So congrats to Nate Marquardt. Where he goes from here is anyone's guess. I know that, of course, Dana White unceremoniously fired him via Twitter. I've been hearing that there was uh, he was going to go to Bellator, and possibly fight Hector Lombard, but then it seems that now he is not a fit for Bellator. So it's going to be very interesting. I look forward to discussing that with his management next week and seeing where he goes from here. In some fight news, Roy Nelson and Mirko Krokop are official for UFC 137. That's going to be October 29th at the Mandalay Bay Event Center in Vegas. Super, super excited for that. It's Krokop's last fight. We're going to see if he still has any gas left in the tank to take out Roy Big Country Nelson. Um, of course, Roy Nelson coming off that that very, you know, some people found it to be lackluster performance um, against Frank Mir going into this fight with Krokop. A lot of implications here. Can Nelson bounce back from the loss? Does Krokop still have any gas left in the tank? We're going to find that out at UFC 137. And uh, speaking of UFC 137, it was also announced that Czech Congo will be meeting Matt Mitrione at UFC 137 as well. That was reported on ESPN.com. Now it is official. And I've just been informed that our next guest is on the line, and I'm going to bring him on right now. What's going on, Amazing Red? What's the deal? Hey, what's up, Rich? How you doing, man? Maintaining, dude. What's going on? Man, happy uh, 100th show and two-year anniversary. <laughs> Thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming through. Um, I'm actually very, very glad you called in because, you know, we were going to be talking Destination X tonight. And, of course, you were involved in the number one contenders match, which was actually a very crazy match. There were a lot of crazy spots in there, um, especially with Ultimate X, which I knew was something we can expect. How are you feeling after the match? You know, are you are you worse for wear? Or are you you you're hanging in there? Is everything all good? <laughs> 
Well, um, I'm always a little uh, banged up and stuff, but uh, just this lower part of my back has been killing me. Like, cause uh, before uh, the Destination X, I wrestled. I think since Thursday, I've been wrestling Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and went right into the show. But this lower part of my back is killing me. But it's just probably just sore though. It's not, not uh, that serious. Yeah, I saw. You know, of course, of course, I was. We we were at the House of Glory Academy to watch you wrestle. Uh, Quiet Storm, and that was that was actually a very physical match. So to hear that you're, uh, you know, experiencing some, some some back soreness is is putting it lightly because that match was very physical and all the all the crazy shit at Ultimate X Man. You know, I'm surprised you're you're holding up so well, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm used to it, man. I used to do this like uh, almost every week, every two weeks. It would be a big thing, but it's just worse now because obviously I'm a little older, so uh, it takes longer to heal. <laughs> I can't. It can't be that bad. Well, with, with, with that, of course, you know, Destination X was a huge, uh, quote unquote, reborn coming out party for the X Division with, with you know, the the six sided ring, all that trip that that big trip down memory lane. Um, I was disappointed with a couple of matches just because you know for for obvious reasons. But but the the, the funny thing was that in your in your match you pulled out some crazy crazy spots especially the uh the shooting star press on shelly off of more um and as fast as you guys were moving man you pulled that off flawlessly i'm not even saying it to blow smoke up your ass but that was well done brother. Well done. <laughs> but the funny thing the funny thing was go ahead homie no what i was gonna say was the the, the funny thing was that you know, we were, everybody was sitting here, and and and, dude, a lot a lot of people were were telling me they're like, "Yo, man, he he better win this just because you, you went in, you went in there and put 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 your put your ass on the line, dude." So when when it went the way it went, I was a little bummed, but um, you 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 know, as always, you looked awesome in that match. But now here we are, a week removed from the from the pay per view, and where the fuck is the X division this week? <laughs> You know, I mean, I you don't got to elaborate, but come on, homie. You know, you you can put you can put Heath Ledger's thing on on TV this week. You know, why is he so serious? But gotta, you know, the whole division pay per view that was supposed to be spotlighted, we don't see. Yeah, I'm 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 hoping that at least played a little short video where at least what happened. Hopefully, <laughs> but um. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I was I was particularly bummed about that, obviously, because we know. We know how you know TNA handles their tapings and whatnot, but the it, it was just crazy because I, I I watched it before I went on the air and you know I, I read it obviously and I'm like okay did a pay per view happen this weekend because you could have fucking fooled me. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of got that vibe too when the before the pay per view was starting like the week before usually you would see like a some big hype video uh, amping it up and I know they had like a little video or whatever. But uh, like usually the last few tapings would be about the next pay per view and um, some kind of like huge video and history about it at the end. At least the taping before the actual pay per view. But all I saw that was shown was uh, the Bound for Glory series uh, for like the heavyweight stuff after the pay per view, which weird which was weird to me because I figured you should be promoting the exhibition pay per view that's coming up. <laughs> in a couple of days besides the Bound for Glory thing, which is going to happen in, like, two or three months. Well, yeah, that's, then, that, uh, that's a crazy thing. 
they, they, they talk about all that, you know, they talk about the, the, the heavyweight championship series, but you guys were, were, were the focal point of this, of this pay-per-view. So to see that, and, you know, just like you said, it's, it's, it's a little disheartening, dude. Yeah. I, um, then, uh, like right after the pay-per-view, you know, it just, it goes right back to, you know, the gears are moving again, you know what I mean? They're still going into the Mount Glory. The heavyweights get their push again, again, still into it. And it's like, uh, we're going to have to wait for, I guess, another big exhibition thing. But uh, I, I think I, there were still exhibition guys in the tapings. I'm not sure who was there, but a lot of us went home. So I'm not sure. You need you need to spray paint Hogan's car again <laughs> with the boy. I think I think that's what you need to do. I think you I think you need to do that, and you need to break out the amazing red middle finger because obviously <laughs> obviously you gotta be you gotta be non PG to get any love, and it's unfortunate because you guys, you know, you and and the rest of the X division go out there and put your bodies on the line to the point where your matches aren't just punch kick punch kick, and of course you, the the internet gets crazy with. Um, talking shit about, oh, well, you know, these guys are all doing spots and yada, 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 but... It, of course, I, that's what they... I've seen, that's, I've seen that's you wrestle chain wrestling. Oh, yeah, I've seen you wrestle chain, chain wrestling. I've seen you do submission wrestling, you know, during, during your match with Lorenz Dean. I've seen you do storytelling <laughs> in there with some of these yeah. guys. So to sit there and to, and to really acknowledge you guys as, as spot monkeys is disingenuous, and it's really fucked up because yeah. wrestling has... Strong style and regular, and and the right guys know how to mix both styles. Yeah, exactly. That's it. People who say spot fest, they're usually non-wrestlers, like ignorant people who don't know shit about wrestling. If you know, you want to see spot fest, please do me a favor and get in the ring and practice with any one of us. Like, as any one of the exhibition guys or whatever, anybody does spots or whatever, you have to at least see exactly who you're talking about. To call me a spot fest guy, obviously I'm gonna give you yes, obviously spots because I get like four or five minutes into that match, and that's my thing. You know, I like to give people a show. I'm not gonna be boring you guys. You guys don't want to see me do chain wrestling, so uh, there you go. But spot fest, come on, that's why you tune in to watch a spot fest. Don't bullshit people. Yeah, yeah, let's not, <laughs> let's not. Yeah, we we can't kid ourselves. If I wanted to, if I wanted to watch chin locks and arm bars, I'd watch Randy Orton wrestle. Come on, man, let's not let's yeah, not play ourselves. Like, uh, AJ and Daniels tore the house down. You know, they got 30 minutes. You know, it was probably like 80%, 90% freestyle. And people were getting bored and, you know, getting restless and, you know, not giving the match props like it should have got. But, see, they're confusing again. They want to see wrestling and they want they don't want to see a spot fest, supposedly. They don't know what the, they don't know what spot fest means. They don't know about wrestling, period. But you give them wrestling, well, they shit on it. You give them spot fest, they shit on it. Just tune out, bro. <laughs> That's pretty much. Well, well, the funny thing with that is, were were you more comfortable working now in the six sided ring, or or is it or is it even a non factor at this point? Uh, I, I before I didn't like it at all, just because it's weird, you know. Like uh, I trained in the four sided ring. That's where I learned everything. That's what I fell in love with first in wrestling. But when I first, you know, saw the six sided ring, I was like, ah, it's kind of weird, but it's cool. It's cool looking. Then I got in it. I did a couple of shows in it, TNAs or whatever. The bump hurts. The turnbuckles suck. The ropes, oh, man, they, they, they're, like, weird. You, to climb the top ropes to get your balance up there is all is awful. Like, uh, people always lose that balance. But uh, 
I don't know, since it's been gone and I've been doing the foresight. I like it, the simple fact, because it just, you know, it shows a difference between WWE and CNA, you know, and it's like six out of ring with all stuff, even though Mexico had it way before, but it was like a TNA thing, you know, six out of ring. So I kind of like missed it when I, so it was kind of cool again. But uh, that's one of the reasons my back hurts right now. <laughs> it's falling, falling from all the way up there and that stiff ass ring. <laughs> well, the the funny thing with that is that they've been talking about making a push to Mexico and trying to, you know, send guys like Hernandez down there and get the, the quote unquote Latino demographic. You know, do you, do you feel that, you know, you you would be a a good candidate for that, given the fact that obviously you're Latino. Like, don't get me wrong, sending Hernandez down there is fine when he wants to talk Spanglish. But um, yeah, it's you know, it's the same amount of, of, of Spanglish he does. <laughs> exactly, but you, but you but you and some of those X Division guys would blend in with the luchador style. I think that that's one thing with regards to bringing in you know talent from Mexico and talent from Japan that they're not capitalizing on the strengths that some of you guys got. Instead, they're they're having you try and accommodate and make these guys adapt to, you know, punch, kick, punch, kick, chin lock, chin lock, and arm, and arm drags. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's true. Uh, but, you know, which will make more logical sense, obviously, is to send people who can work that style and do lucha and do Japanese style to Japan and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know it. From what I see, they just send the opposite. Like, uh, they send people who need experience or, I guess, who don't know what they're doing order. You know, I guess, I don't know. I really don't know. Because uh, I missed a couple of, like, my boys, Motor City went a couple of times to Japan and stuff like that. And uh, they did, they, they wrestled for the belts and stuff like that, which is awesome. I would, I would, I wanted to, like, be a part of the tours with Japan just because I've been there so many times. And even when they go to Mexico, I wanted to go just because I haven't, I haven't really wrestled in Mexico. That's like one of the last places I haven't wrestled in. So I'm That's still waiting. Crazy. Mexico, Mexico would be awesome for you, especially with some of the guys they got down there. You know, uh, and especially when you got some of those mass luchadors, and then you know you go down there and you got you got your style. You bring that that New York style down there. I I think it would be it would be fantastic. I think I think we gotta have you go down there like La Parca put on a red skull mask and start cracking dudes <laughs> over the head. Start doing a little dance. <laughs> yeah, hey, 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 you know, I, I seen I seen Sangriento dancing, so you know if he if he could dance, he could go down there and dance and do the right thing. That's true. But um I got a I got I got somebody on the line that wants to get involved with this. Patrick, you're on the air. Get me in there, get me in there. <laughs> What's going Yo, on? How are you doing? What's going on, Patrick? Nothing much, man. Yo, um, you know, all the way read about about this impact situation, and obviously, you know, you got you got a little bit of the inside track. I told them how you know this pay per view came and went, and now we're here Thursday, and you wouldn't even know a pay per view happened. Yeah, there's no mention of it. There's no highlights. It's like they, it's like uh, it was a blip on the radar, and and nobody uh watched it when obviously it was the most talked about pay per view that TNA's done in a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the guy guy goes, you you know, the X Division guys go out there, practically kill themselves. But Thursday comes and it's like, yeah, you know, why so serious? I'm gonna laugh. Like, get to stop, stop. You're putting your belt on a fucking guy who can pretty much soon apply for Social Security. 
I'm supposed to take that serious. <laughs> oh, no. I'm supposed to take serious that that ketchup and mustard is gonna is gonna wander down there without breaking his hip and crack somebody with a bat. You can't even ketchup throw a bat. You know, the, you catch up. You you got him. You got yo Sting's Equator hairline. It's like yo, shave that shit off. Oh, oh man, he's in a rose right now. <laughs> it's not. It's not even a rose, dude. It's just the fact that, uh, you know, as a as a wrestling fan, regardless of the show or or our relationship off air, you know, we're supposed to want wrestling. If I wanted to see old motherfuckers wrestle, I'd drive down to the senior center on Jamaica Ave. It's a, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that you go nearly fucking cripple yourself. You know, you're talking about having bone chips and shit that you need vacuumed out of your, out of your elbow. But no, it's it's okay. We're just going to have a 53-year-old 50, guy win the belt, and it's business as usual. It, it, it's embarrassing, and it's sad. And I, like I said, I'm not even saying it because of the show or to gain heat or to gain favor with you guys, but uh, I'm still a fan, dude, but I watch this shit, and it's just disheartening. Uh, I didn't even watch it for that man to be honest. I knew it was on. I just didn't watch it. But well, wh- why are you? It's like it's like yo. Why am I gonna support this? You know why am I gonna support this and bust my ass out there when I'm not even a blip on the radar? How do you cut a promo for a pay per view where there where you're sitting there with a mic and you're like, yeah, man, you know I'm excited to. One of the biggest fucking gripes is that yo, man, we don't hear Amazing Red talk. And then when you do talk, it's like. What did he say? Because it ended in the blink of an eye. How are you supposed yeah, to tell a paper? Yeah, like you, you give the guy a shot to talk, and you he probably he probably had at least a, a good five to ten minutes of uh, audio, and then they they reduced that to like half, plus <laughs> like two minutes, and then uh, that's the end of the story. Yeah, so man, you go on the road. That dude, you're a hundred percent right. You know, Red goes on the road. I've seen some of these guys go on the road. You guys cut promos. You guys talk shit. We'd never know. We would never know because it's like, yeah, uh, here's Amazing Red talking about this. Yeah, man, I'm excited about the pay-per-view and commercial break. <laughs> that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly that's how it happened. That's exactly how it happened. Dude, I'm, you know, like I said, re- regardless of our of our relationship, it's just it's just a, a sad state of affairs. But I did while I while I did have you on, I, and 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 you know, pa- Patrick wanted to come through. I did want to ask you about Tito Ortiz and Rashad Evans because I know you know. Yeah. You're, you're a big Rashad fan. What's good? What's the deal money, with that? My money's on Tito. I can't stand Rashad. I can't stand yeah, me either. Um, I'm happy that Tito did that simple fact because his promo when before he came back uh, to fight um Bader was that he's here to fight. He's here to prove a point, and you know he's here to stay or whatever he wants his job back. So for for Tito, I know I heard already that he denied it, and then he, uh, I guess they settled with money or whatever. He he he's gonna do it now. If he didn't take the fight, I would have been pissed off just because I know he just fought, but he really didn't. You know he didn't get hit, so he should have took the fight. I'm happy he did. Now uh, I like him, especially going into this fight. I hope he beats Rashad's ass. Even though I wanted Rashad to get his ass beat by Rampage, but uh, I rather uh, have Tito win. There was a couple well, of things that I that I heard about. Uh, one of them was that um they tried to get Machida to fight uh, Rashad, and Machida wanted to get paid as much as Anderson Silva gets paid. And Dana that's right. He wanted, he wanted that Anderson Silva money. That shit was trending on Twitter. But Anderson yeah, Silva. Said, uh, Dana said, "Fuck out of here with that one." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this guy 
he should be happy that he even got offered to to get like, you know, what I mean? that's crazy. And then well, and he was like, supposedly leaving leaving and Chael wanted to step up and fight over Rashad, but they are 185 pounders. Chael will fight his mother at this point. Yeah, Chael is a who he fights. Chael is talking Chael, shit to the point Chael where... Chael will fight Jesus. Chael will fight Jesus. I, I, shit, I think Chael is Jesus at this point, just because of the amount of shit talking he does. The man sits there and offends an entire country. He, he offends an entire country, tells it says that Vanderlei Silva is going to wrestle naked with the Nagara brothers, and he's going to sneak into their house and take pictures <laughs> and put it on BrazilianDorks.com. That's, that's serious. He destroyed the whole fact, the whole idea of pride. He destroyed the whole idea of it. Like, he, like right now, listen to his last interview with uh, Ariel. I don't even, like, it makes the whole pride of it work. I know there was work fights in Pride because obviously I knew some of the wrestlers that was in there, and you could tell the fights were work. But he, Sonnen just flat out said the whole Pride is a word because every time they come to UFC, they get they get the ass kicked. <laughs> well, that's you know that, that was a huge blow. That was a huge blow to the that was a huge blow just to the the credibility of Pride. But Hell yeah. uh, on the flip side, though, it's like without Pride, we wouldn't have some of the names that we root for now. You know, so it's it's a little. It's a it, it's a little bit one sided and kind of forgetting where you came from. Like, yeah, Chael did it and it was funny as shit. But it's like, dude, that built the foundation for you to to get bread right now. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Chael's like, like I, that too because Chael shits on uh, jujitsu and he shits on uh, the Laguerre brother shit. Either way, he got tapped out twice in the triangle choke. You know what I mean? So <laughs> he's weird sometimes. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's yeah, a little that's suspect. Funny. I like the guy. Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I, I, dude, I, I love hearing him just rant like a lunatic, but it gets to a point where you're, you're like, dude, you're about to offend a whole country, and the UFC got to do a pay-per-view in Brazil. How do you fact. Fact? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You know? But he, here's, he's going here's down my opinion on Chael. I wish Chael was my dad, and if Chael were to fight Jesus, I think he'd beat Jesus up. <laughs> That's how crazy it is. This guy's on another level. He's off the point, and he's, uh, he's off to a good start. He'd beat Jesus up and try and sell him Jerusalem with a bad check. <laughs> you know, you know, you know he would. But I, I did. Yeah, it, pray after this one call. Hey, man, <laughs> it happens. But the other thing I wanted to talk about, and, and and you know, I'm glad Patrick called in for this because I know both of you guys are pumped. Um, Dan Hardy and Chris Lytle, August 14th. Oh yeah, that's gonna be good. Yeah, versus kid, that's gonna be that's gonna be serious business. I'm a little I'm worried, though, because Hardy's coming off those losses right now. Yeah, but well, I one think of Hardy is the, the last loss. I don't even count that because uh, you got this other guy talking a lot of shit about how he's going to bang with him, and then you have him fucking spooning him for all fucking three rounds for no fucking reason. Oh. Yeah, Rumble Johnson, he did the, uh, he did the um, you know, the, the smother. He did the smother on him. That shit was the worst. He pulled the Whalen Smithers on uh, Dan Hardy for that fight. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, was, it was messed up. It was messed up, but you know, especially talking about these guys getting cut after three losses, dude, it's a little, it's a little, you know, a little bit concerning at this point. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think it's everybody who gets cut after three losses. I think it's just it, it goes on how bad the losses are and stuff, and like, uh, I guess how how much uh, fan attention you get. Like, if you have a lot of guys backing you up, and there's a lot of people that that buy these pay per views and they they tune into verse to see you fight, and you lose a a, a decision 
to a guy who wasn't even really hitting you. He was just taking you down and holding you down for three rounds. I don't think you get cut, but I'm hyped for Hardy to go into this fight because he's saying he's having a good training camp and everything, and he's confident that he's gonna things are just gonna fly like this. It's gonna be a stand up fight. Well, one of the things that that have been discussed, and I've, and I'll ask you guys about it, is 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 introducing the yellow card system like Pride has, where if they're on the ground too long, you know, they got to give up part of their purse for the yellow card system. Do you think that that would be something that um would help in in terms of just keeping the fights on the stand up game? I like to help exciting fights, yeah. Well, uh, but uh, I don't know. I think UFC has their own like rules and stuff, and I'm already like used to it. So just to see like uh, like how they're trying to do the five round main event stuff and how they're trying to do the yellow card and I think I even heard they were trying to see if they can legalize some of the foot stomps or whatever. Like I don't know. I think they should just stick to being old school UFC and and uh, not try to go too many too much to on, on pride side. I don't know. Well, well, I for think me that's... the the whole yellow card thing, I I like it just for the simple fact that even though GSP is my boy and I love him, maybe he'll actually finish a fight. Not to rely on wrestling because we know he can stand up. We've seen it before. I don't understand why he keeps trying to take guys down. He's smart. He's been getting a lot of shit. He's been getting a lot of shit. Well, it's funny because one of the guys that fights for for Bellator, Ben Askren, he's he's been asked about you know using wrestling and using the smother to win fights, and he's like, look, man, I'm not here to make the fights look pretty. I'm here to win and get paid. And when you break it down like that, I mean, anybody would do it. But it gets to a point where nobody's going to shell out $60 to watch you fight, especially when you're in the UFC and you're a guy like George St. Pierre. I think that his fight with Nick Diaz, he can't come in there and use that smother and cover. He's going to get Hell put no. to sleep. Nah, Diaz is going to make sure he's on a different game plan than he usually goes in there. You know the kind yeah. of thing Nick Diaz, he's... Even though I, I, I like the way he was in strike force because I like the, the, the bad guy role that he plays because I prefer heels over faces anyway. But he... <laughs> He, he shit talks and he backs it up. Like, no matter how sloppy you think he fights or how sloppy uh, shape he looks coming into a fight, everything that he says, he backs it up. Same thing against uh, when he fought Bailey. He was in trouble two times. Bailey floored him. He was on the floor and tried to recover, and then look what ended up happening. So it's not like he's a pushover. He's dangerous. But I think uh, when that comes to play, GFC's going to go in there with a different game. So I don't think he's going to try to take him down. I think it's going to be more like uh, the Koscheck fight. I think it'll be something like that where he'll... It'll be more stand-up, and he'll occasionally go for a takedown where he sees he can't just stand with him. Hopefully, he can finish him. I hope so, man, because right now, he can't even finish a fucking glass of milk, and I'm getting a little tight. <laughs> he could barely finish the sentence. Yeah, man, it's, it's crazy. But um, switch, switching gears, I want to jump back jump back to wrestling because, you know, the big the big thing, and I know this has been talked about the last couple of weeks, but I definitely want to get a, a an outsider's take on it is the CM Punk situation. You know, how do you, how do you how do you guys feel about that? You know, I'll start with Red first. How do you you know, what do you think is the deal with with CM Punk? Do you think that as as crazy as his promos have gotten that he's even going to have he he even has room to come back or is it just a work or well, you know, what are your what are your views on the situation with that? I'm going to crap about CM Punk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing around. Personal, personal, personal history aside, personal history. No, aside, no, I mean, no. I'm playing around. Like uh, that incident, that was a uh, you know. I understand where he came from. He's either cut my throat or his or whatever. But you know, he made it, and I, I, I kind of heard back and forth about his angle now, and uh, everything to me, even if, it, if even if it is a shoot, everything to me is a work. And it has to do with wrestling. 
so I think it's a good idea. If anything, this is going to turn him into, like, the next Stone Cold just because he's super faced right now just because of what's going on. And uh, I think it's I think it's a cool little switch, like on wrestling storylines in general, just because they gave him freedom to say a whole bunch of shit that I would never hear people say on, on especially WWE, in front of Vince to say on top of that, like to shout out your boy's name, to say different promotions like Ring of Honor, and uh, to talk shit about you know his son-in-law and his daughter. That's sick, you know. And he, the stuff he was he was saying too is so far than the truth. I went back to those ice cream bars. Shit, I wanted them too. I was hyped, man. I, I sent the email to Good Humor. You know, don't judge me. <laughs> but um, it was it was so legit and so real, and it was like I said, I said a couple episodes back, it was a it was a breath of fresh air. But you know, if if they don't run with the ball, especially at this stage, like personally, I'd like to see him take the belt, get rid of the belt, and just leave it alone for a little bit and just have one title. That way you could kind of make people work a little harder. If he gets the belt, yeah, have, have he one title the and then maybe when he comes back, uh, maybe bring back a more traditional style belt because that spin belt is already getting on the Yeah, door. that shit's whack already. Dude, nobody nobody uses spinners even in the hood nowadays. Come on, man. That belt doesn't <laughs> even spin anymore. That belt doesn't spin anymore. It's just It just looks stupid. Yeah, it's just it's too it's it's too flashy of a belt. Like it doesn't even look like it has any prestige left in it. Like uh, this is something where uh, it's a good opportunity for them to get rid of that title if they decide to put Punk over. Whatever's gonna happen, and just uh, what's come up? back with a either the old school belt or uh, something different. I, I hey, what, what's up with WWE belts? What's up with those tag team belts? Those those pennies. She like big ass pennies. Come on, them penny belts. Them penny belts are serious business because supposedly yeah, one punk. Yeah, ugly. The, the joke of a tag team uh, title that they have right now. Yeah. Well, when when one punk leaves, they want to uh, supposedly they want to put Otunga and and Ricky Bobby with um with Zack Ryder. <laughs> Ricky Bobby. Yeah, Michael McGillicuddy, man. He's a Will Ferrell looking dude. <laughs> yeah, he does like Ricky Bobby. Yeah, so you know they got they they got all that going on, and you know the the shit with the belts. It, it it's just it's crazy just to talk about other other promotions with you, just because the the insight you give is just a little different. You're like, look, don't believe shit. <laughs> everything everything is bullshit. You know, it, it, that's just the way I think about. You know, what I mean, if it's in wrestling, it's on TV, and they're doing a music video the next week about something, somebody that you know, somebody supposedly shitted on your bit, your whole company. That's that's bullshit. That's a shoot. I mean, oh, that's, Dude, that's, the life I'm living right now is shoot. <laughs> there you go. You know what though? I want to um take a, a quick commercial break. I'm a, I want to mute you guys because I actually want to talk to you because they dropped a, a Rey Mysterio DVD. So I want to actually get your your thoughts on that. Right. So I'm gonna just right. cut, uh, cut to a commercial real quick. All right, guys. I am uh. I'm going to go to commercial because I'm using Google Voice, and at 1 o'clock in the morning, they cut us off. So to prevent any awkward breaks in conversation, I'm going to take the commercial break now so that I can uh, adjust all the little Google Voice situations, and we can continue with the show. So here's a, a quick word from our boys at Born Stubborn Radio. The following advertisement is for BornStubbornRadio.com. 
Born Radio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. On Born Southern Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting. And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. What? We're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck's sake, man. Rich loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? <laughs> yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Southern Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, in the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck he just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but BornStepInRadio.com is where you should be going right now. Here you get it! Have good mosh pitting! Hey, this is Spillbag of Ice. And this is Gary Friedman. From MMA Gospel Radio, every Wednesday on Blog Talk Radio. And we want to congratulate Rich and the My Tape Radio crew for their awesome 100th episode. Congratulations. Hooray! All right, and we're back. Just a little quick word from our buddies over at MMA Gospel Radio. Uh, Gary Friedman and Spilled Bag of Ice. You can catch those guys every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the Blog Talk Radio Network. It'll be blogtalkradio.com slash MMA Gospel. I'm going to bring Red back on the line, and I'm going to bring Patrick on just because I want to just go over a couple of things, and I'm also hearing that I got some some calls for Red as well. Just want to throw a quick reminder that if you want to call and talk to any of our guests or have any questions, you can call 347-324-3541. Again, that number, 347-324-3541. All right, let me bring Red back on. All right, man, we're back on. Patrick, you there? Yeah, I'll stay here, man. All right, man. Um, I uh, had had some questions for you guys just because WE announced that Rey Mysterio was dropping a DVD titled Life of a Mass Man, and I know that Red is, Red is actually a, a fan of Ray's work, but um, I actually wanted to ask you first, what was one of your favorite Rey Mysterio matches? Me or uh, Patrick? You. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think the one with Eddie... Goro and uh, Halloween Havoc stays out a lot just because everybody uh, it was like on like, every DVD I have that match but uh, yeah like cool cool matches in Japan there was one with Liger I liked uh, the fights against him and Psychosis were off the hook he had a bunch that I liked but my favorite has to be I guess against uh, him and Nettie in uh, Halloween Havoc uh, every match he had with Eddie was always solid. And um, what about you, Patrick? You got any favorite Rey Mysterio matches? Him and Eddie. Damn. It's like, uh, it's like they were 
those guys were born to wrestle each other, like, in front of people and put on a show. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because they dropped they dropped this huge uh, DVD set, and they actually had Rey Mysterio's match with, with Eddie Guerrero from Nitro that um, they had in September 1997. And they also had the Rey Mysterio, Kidman, and Kidman against Eddie Guerrero and Juventud Guerrero from 1998 as well. Which were which were pretty solid matches. So it's funny that you both bring up his work with Eddie, and they actually threw some in there with him and Eddie from some of the Nitros. Yeah, it is pretty cool. They they threw in his uh, old school uh, matches from WCW, and they didn't just uh, concentrate like on the the storyline they had between Eddie and him in uh, WWE. Did they add uh, bonus matches with him with his mask off? <laughs> well, they need. It, when when he was part of the Filthy Animals and he didn't have his mask, you know, it's like a, a, anybody who knows their wrestling, and that's that's sometimes one thing that frustrates me. It's like, look, man, don't try and play us. The dude didn't have a mask off, and it it's like, you know, and he was walking around with devil horns, looking looking like a little Spanish Webster. It's like, come on, man. <laughs> and, and don't play. Seriously, but the, they actually went back too, and they threw some ECW matches in there too, with him and Conan against La Parka and Psychosis, and then uh, him and Juventud in that two out of three falls match, which I think I actually still have on DVD somewhere. Oh yeah, a couple of matches on VCR tape. <laughs> <laughs> VHSs. Yeah, it was crazy. They they didn't they didn't spare any expense, but the only the only frustrating thing, and I actually wanted to ask you this. Just because when they do DVDs, whether it's spotlighting the exhibition, I actually have some ones like that, or even when when they're talking to you guys for merchandise, how you know how do you get approached for that? And especially with you, because I know you had your shirt, and they even did your your toy, which I see in Toys R Us every once in a while. Um, I, do do you guys uh, well? Do you get to apply any input to that, or is it something where they come to you after the fact, like, hey man, this is the finished product. What do you think? Well, when all of that started happening to me, uh, I had Don West in my corner, and it wasn't like only like storyline wise. It was, it was like legit. Like uh, he helped me out a lot. Like when I was with Don West, I had a, I got a T-shirt out. Uh, I got an action figure came out. I was exhibition champion. You know what I mean? Like I was all over the place, and it was Don West helping me out just because you know he he knows his shit. Like uh, he, he he made sure he helped me out. and He got me out there. So. What he did was he had like a design. He showed it to me for the shirt, and I liked it. I approved it, and you know he got he got everything made. The action figures, uh, Jax came to us, and everybody had to do these uh, still photos, and like we had to be put in this little seat, and it took like uh, pictures of our face and 360 and stuff like that. But it started happening to me as soon as they gave me like when they were talking to me about giving me down west. So I. I uh, I think I, all this all that goes to the down west, I guess. <laughs> they were the props in. Well, no, nah, I mean the the reason I ask you is because they go and they and they put this merchandise out, and you know I've heard I've heard stories where they cut performers in on on the merchandise deals or or things of that nature. And the reason I ask, and even with the DVD stuff, because I know there's footage of you on on some of the you know the older X Division stuff and even the early Impact stuff. I think I still have a a DVD with you and Loki's match from the weekly pay-per-views. Do they, do they even, you know, do they even make that offer to the performers with regards to how the merchandise goes or, or is yeah, it something? Yeah. Yeah. We all, 
Yeah, we all get a piece of that. You know, like uh, we get contracts where you get a piece of uh, every every DVD, every shirt, action figure. Uh, you know, those they, they come once in the blue, but we do get them. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was always curious about how they how they developed that, only because you know, when when referring to to the older guys, they came and they cut all these exclusive deals. So I just wanted to make sure that was a trend because. Nothing is more upsetting than you seeing your likeness all over the place, and you're like, yeah, where's my money for that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I just wish I was on the video game, like uh, the first one, even though it was the shits, but uh, I was just... Yeah, I, I was about <laughs> a lot to of people say, got paid good uh, for, for that game and stuff. Yeah, I was, I, was about to be, I was about to be hurt only because you were like, yeah, I wanted to be in the game, and I was just going to be like, man... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, AJ and, uh, and Joe had, like, uh, an idea... Of how to make the game, they're gonna try to make it like No Mercy, yeah, uh, N64 game, and that's awesome because all of our favorite games. But they gave the idea and what they all put into it. it you know, the game is cool. It has cool, I guess, mechanics and the motion capture is freaking awesome for it because all my boys did it. But uh, just the game is too uh, arcadey, like. It feels like the WrestleMania game where you're doing like all these combos and shit, and you know, doing like killing instinct combos. This thing has oh. a 450 in that game, man. How the hell is it even possible? He he can't even do a 450 to get out of bed. <laughs> but but it, it, no, the reason I said that is because I've been I've been on a few message boards just for like SmackDown versus Raw and stuff, and there's actually a couple of people that put in the work, man, and created you in a couple in a in a, in a couple of games independently. So. You know, don't don't think that you're not out there, dude. <laughs> I've seen uh, a couple of you, know, you go you go to game FAQs and you go to you know create a wrestler and there's a there's a couple of amazing reds in there that 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 are pretty good. They they haven't gotten the hair down, but they they've done they've done pretty good with it. So don't sleep, man. You got you, you, you got yourself, you got yourself in a little in a in a WWE game. That's cool. You can create a wrestler. Oh, real quick, yeah, before, right. before I uh, finish, before you finish or whatever, real quick, uh, I was playing uh, the latest uh, Fight Night. I think it's uh, right. Fight Night Champions or something like that. Right. And uh, they had a, they had an amazing red uh, boxer. Somebody made you, and it, it it looked like you. What? Yeah, you were in the game. Like uh, it has the same thing where uh, you know, like the 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 last SmackDown versus Raw, where you could download. Like uh, people create like wrestlers or whatever, and then you could download them straight from like whoever it is that made them. It has that same thing in the fight night game, and somebody made you as a boxer. <laughs> I'll get my ass kicked. <laughs> but seeing but seeing that and and hearing what you said, it you know, with especially going going the no mercy route, I think that that's one of those things that that a lot of that a lot of gamers would prefer when it comes to wrestling. Hell, you, you know, even even going so far as as doing it like Fire Pro style, which is which is dating it a little bit, but even even Fire Pro wrestling style, getting getting all yeah, you guys in that there. Game, you, that game, still fun. Fire Pro, like you know, we still come together and play that game once in a while. It's just uh, it's too whack that seeing the game. Like uh, people taking finishing moves and just popping back up and then dropping all the way out the ring. Like I don't know. Like if the game is like telling you that it's over the edge and like crazy animations like that that last WWE game where John Cena they look like uh, Incredible Hulk <laughs> Hulk and uh, 
all these big gas up guys and they're jumping at 80 feet in the air doing suplexes. Like they tell you ahead of time, you know that the game is wacky. But well, that's fine if they tell if they tell you that that's great. But you know what it was yeah. when Impact out when Impact came out, I, I put I put in my Xbox and I'm like, all right. And I started playing story mode, and you know they put suicide in it. And I and I, and I liked the suicide character when I saw it. And then when I started yeah, seeing yeah. it on when I started seeing it on TV, I'm like, ah, oh, here comes the payday. But even that, even even all these personas, even from the X Division standpoint, have you know have disappeared. I know. I know your boy, your boy Sangriento. He was he was popping for a minute, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, where'd he go? <laughs> yeah, he's hanging out signing autographs. <laughs> hanging out, hanging out signing autographs. You know, doing the Dougie. Heard some things about that. <laughs> Heard some things about Sangriento doing the Dougie, but um, it's it's just it's just crazy that all that stuff gets created for that division, and even in the game. Like when I played it in the game, and I'm watching some of the X Division guys in, in the offense for the game, they're, they're, it's all very basic. And I'm like, yo, what happened with this program and for this game? Yeah, like, isn't the storyline for the game, like, Suicide, he's, like, from X Division? Like, isn't the game about X Division, kind of? Exactly. Yeah, it is, because Suicide, Suicide was all X Division, and he was he was pretty popular. I think that, you, that he could have been a dude regardless of who was under the mask that you could have made like a focal point for that division and even have a couple of feuds with that. Cause even, even in some of your matches with some of the guys that were, you know, quote unquote under the mask, the, the, the chemistry was there for, for, for crazy shit to happen. Yeah. Well, before I, it's, like, it's like they're trying to, it's like they, they make it look like they're trying to showcase that division and then they just don't. They always make a big deal. Yeah, they're gonna X division, X division, and they just don't let these guys do what they do. They don't, they don't give them no TV time. I don't understand. Well, here's here's something crazy, which which I which I just read about this afternoon. Whether it's legit or not, the 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 legitimacy of it isn't what's in question. Is the fact that they allegedly brought back Kid Cash to the X division. Like I said, I don't know, I don't know the the logistics and how legit that is, but. You know, or do you feel that it's great to see those guys back, and it's a trip down memory lane? But that that the talent that's there can can benefit more so from the TV time because I'm sure that you guys are there. And even if it even if y'all are cool, y'all y'all have to be fighting on the DL to get that TV time. Yeah, like uh, I don't I don't mind you know Cash comes in whatever Cash is my boy, but uh, just the stuff that's been happening is like kind of weird to me. Just how the Young Bucks asked for their release. They got rid of uh, Jay, you know, instead of getting the con- like a contract to, like, you know, trying to for somebody to get a contract to, like, Austin Aries or whatever or Jack, you know, just concentrate on the guys you got. Like, you could have had Jay Lethal in there still. You could have had the Bucks in there still. You know, we still are in there not doing anything. Instead of just trying to look for new talent, that's not really going to do anything. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, because... We'll be hot for the first two or three shows, and we'll go right back to the bottom of the pile. So. Well, how do you? What's the what's the story with guys that get working arrangements with with other organizations like Ring of Honor? Because I've seen a couple of guys that are active in TNA that popped up in Ring of Honor. Do you uh, have you been afforded that luxury? Do they tell you like, hey, Red, you know, if you want to go and do some Ring of Honor stuff, you can. Like, or is it more along the lines like, dude, you're here, you can only be here and do non televised stuff only. Well, the last few times, uh, I it, it never happened to my face, but I heard I've been denied like 
my TNA to do Dragon Gate or Japan or something like that. Well, I think it was Ring of Honor, but I never heard about it. Uh, I didn't hear about it from TNA. I just heard it from people, like, saying, oh, yeah, we try to get you, but they told us no. But uh, a lot of people go, you know, they have different contracts than I do. I don't know if I can't, like, I think, like, uh, in my country, I think I can do it, but the thing is that I haven't heard anything yet from other companies like Dragon Gate or Ring of Honor. Because if I was to hear about it myself, me or, uh, uh, like, if they go to, like, uh, one of my agents or whatever, then I would try to get on that. Because, you know, I'm not trying to stay in this one place. I want to be in Indies, too, and, you know, do different shows. I want to try to get out there like I used to. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, no, go ahead. No, I'm saying, like, if I get the opportunity to, I would love to do it. And uh, if for some reason they won't let me do it, I, I got to find out the reason why. Because I've seen a lot of people doing it in, in uh, Ring of Art and uh, TNA themselves. Like, uh, the Guns, the Bucks, Daniels, you know, like, they're all doing yeah. their thing. So, I don't know. Well, yeah, I saw, you know, I saw, I saw... Daniels at Ring of Honor, and I've seen certain guys, and and especially with promotions like Evolve, Dragon Gate. I mean, you know, you did you did the the trios tournament with the SATs, which was you know that that was a great showcase for you guys because you were working with with guys that had a similar style, which was which was badass. You, yeah. know, you got X in there, you had Hakushi in there, a nice uh, nice throwback, and and seeing that, it was just like yo, that's that's the kind of stuff we need to see. So I'm surprised that they never afforded you that luxury. And I was curious, and I had been meaning to ask you it, and when I saw uh, something from Dragon Gate pop up on my screen, I said, wait a minute, let me ask you about that. Yeah, no, as soon as they call me, as soon as I hear anything about it, I'm flying to any, any you know, other fed or whatever, like, trying to do it. I'm not talking about, like, leaving TNA. I'm saying I want to do different things like uh, these other wrestlers are doing. Because especially if I'm not getting used as much or being on TV as much, I want to stay busy as I can, you know. I don't like staying home and doing shit. Especially, I, I want to go back to Rainbow Water. I want to go to Germany. I want to go back to Japan. So, these are all places I want to go to. Well, with this new with this new crop of guys and these new promotions, what you know, who, what's some talent you wanna you wanna work with that you haven't gotten the chance to yet? You know, any 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 of these new guys. You know, uh, I hear a lot. Uh, actually, uh, I wrestled with Nary like a while ago. And uh, I don't even remember the match we had. But I know, you know, I don't think it was super good or whatever. Because I remember I met him, it was like, we were super young. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know how long ago was it. But I would like to wrestle him now. I would like to wrestle, uh, I, I hear a guy named Ricochet. I want to wrestle Jack Evans. I want to wrestle, like, Seema and them. And uh, I, I forgot they call him now. I was Zima or something, you know, <laughs> whatever. Zima's um, eye on her. My eye on. Yes, I don't, you know. Um, in Ring of Honor, hopefully, uh, some of my boys in there that's, that are still there. Some of my boys that are going there that I can't say right now. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anybody, really, I don't, you know, I, I want to wrestle... Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Hero. I'm in that wrestle him. Uh, yeah, you and Chris Hero would be, you and Chris Hero would be ridiculous. <laughs> that yeah. would be a ridiculous match, man. You and you and Hero would be sick. I mean, honestly, I, if, if I had to throw one out there, and it's, it's it's on a pure fan level, dude. I think I think you and and Davey Richards would crush it, dude. 
Oh yeah, he's yeah, he's another one too, man. Like uh, so, there's a whole bunch of them. I, have, I didn't get to wrestle yet. Just because when I was coming back to wrestle again, like uh, in the, the time I came back to TNA the last time, I well, my plan was to do indies first and like kind of like destroy the indies, as I say, the way I did back in the day to get my name back, and then try to get back into to TNA or WWE. But what happened was I did one indie. And TNA heard about it and gave me, they offered me a, to come down and to see how I was. Then they saw me wrestle and they offered me a contract right away. So I didn't really get to test the waters yet. I didn't get to, to do what I wanted, you know, to wrestle the, these uh, <clears throat> these top ten indie guys and stuff like that. And they're they're all legit ill wrestlers, man. Have they? I have feel you? Like, oh, go ahead. No, I'm saying I feel like uh, kind of like one of the the little indie fathers, you know, that left and came back and, you know, wanted to test out my, like, my little uh, students or whatever kind of thing. Just because when I, when I came out in, like, 98, 99, there wasn't really as many people that, like, as small as I was doing the shit that I was doing. Like, uh, you know, the infrareds, uh, the crazy case, the crazy dives, these new kind of breakdance ways into moves and, shoot, you know, standing shooting stars. I've never seen no one ever do stuff like that. You know what I mean? I took uh, a little piece from everybody, like, you know, Hayabusa stuff, Grace Sasuke's, Eddie Guerrero stuff, Ray's, and kind of made my own style with it. And, like, 2001, two, three, like, by 2003, I started seeing a bunch of new indie guys, you know, small, young guys with do-rags, like, kind of like my style. Everybody and their mother does a standing shooting star. <laughs> Or like the Sunset Flip Power Mom, you know, or uh, you know, it's just these new younger guys. Like it wasn't like that when I came out. It was all big guys, like gassed up guys and killing people, and you know, just having you know regular matches here and there, stuff like that. Like I used to love watching uh, Quack and Bush and Reckless Youth wrestle when I started, because I thought they were like the top of whatever and. Uh, Low-key, homicide, you know, they were doing their thing also. Right. So I came out in that era. And then, as you know, I had a lot of people that I met over the years, they're like, oh, you know, I started wrestling because of you, watching your tapes with you and your cousins, you guys are crazy. You know, the moves you've done were, like, unbelievable. You know, you're amazing and stuff. And it's cool to hear that. So now these, these new indie guys that I see, these new, this, you know, I don't want to keep saying indie guys. I mean, these new wrestlers I see now and, you know, they all got cool styles and new moves and new looks. I want to try them all out. <laughs> I guess it's, you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah, I feel absolutely. like. <laughs> you, want to evolve, you want to evolve your game by competing against this upcoming talent, dude. I mean, that's the, that's the only way you're going to improve as a performer. Exactly. I want to see if I can hang still. <laughs> There's no harm in that. I did. I did want to ask, have you, have you given thought or is it something that's ever come across the, the table for you? About about working as a heel, do you think you have it in you to, yeah. to work? I, as, only I started because out being a like heel with my cousins, and it, it was just like a an annoying little kid, little you know, like a little brother kind of thing, where just keep bothering you and doing little evil things and little middle fingers here and there, with the little red fro covering my <laughs> my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I think I. He, your your heel work, I think, would be would be something different to see, just because, like I said, I've never seen it. And I did want to ask. I remember, 
And I think I, I still have one of the weekly tapes. I think you did a match with Slim J, if I remember correctly, the little Eminem-looking dude. Yeah, yeah. Whatever happened? <laughs> whatever happened to that guy? That guy is freaking awesome, man. I, I don't know what happened to him, but uh, I hope he's doing well. But last time I wrestled him, he was on probation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. He's a cool ass kid, man. He, he was another one who also would, you know, tell me cool things like that. That uh, he kind of like uh, started washing my stuff, and you know, it, it it makes people like like smaller, like 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 how I used to look. And I was like 120, you know, 17 years old, 16 years old, and just coming out in these scenes, people were, like looking, laughing. I guess these wrestlers see they seen that, and they were like, "Well, this guy can do what I can do it." And you know, like all these crazy moves he does, and a lot of people take the moves that I did, and they put their own twist on it, which is cool. You know, like that's what I did with Hayabusa stuff and Sasuke stuff. Just add your own twist. And uh, like Jack Evans, when when I saw him, they were talking about you know, oh this guy does all your moves and stuff. But when I saw him, he he did. Like I gave him mad props for it because that's impossible. I mean, like you know, not impossible, but. I could not do it. Like, my infrared from the top is a course blue senton. I don't even know how many revolutions I do or whatever the hell. But this kid did it from the floor. Like, Jack Evans did it from the floor. He didn't even go to the top ropes. And from that, I was like, oh, shit. You know, like, damn, this kid is nasty and flips. Like, you know, that's crazy. So, you know, it's just, I like stuff like that, how they take stuff and they twist it. And so, you know, it's like a compliment to me. But then they're not being a dickhead in the fact that they're actually stealing my whole style. You know what I mean? Same thing I did again with Sasuke and Hayabusa and Ray. But uh, I hate yeah. people when they actually do your complete move, you know, your sign, look like you. Oh, <laughs> imitation, crazy, imitation is not the best form of flattery. I mean, I remember, I remember a couple of times during, during your run in TNA, you had done the seven one eight. You know, and and I was like, I was like, oh boy, here we go. I I, I did that because I was forced into doing it, just because mm-hmm. supposedly, uh, you know, I was the Rey Mysterio of TNA. So it's like they wanted me to, you know, kind of be like, oh look, Rey, look, look what he does. But I, I hate that damn move. I don't like it. I didn't. I never wanted to do it. That move was just forced onto me <laughs> in TNA just to try to get back at Rey, like. You know, they were trying to build feuds. You know how, like, WCW would do it with WWE? How, like, Hoven uh, 2 did the people's elbow? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, they're trying they try to they try to do what I like to call canned heat, where, you know, it's just it's just imaginary. And they're like, yeah, we're just going to make this, you know, we're going to make this serious business. Like, you know, the the whole Kurt Angle, RKO, Angle Slam shit with, with Randy Orton. It's like, dude, no, nobody in the real world gives a shit. They're just going to be like, oh, look, he did an RKO. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know it's, it's it's fucked up that they go in there and they try to replicate your your move set and don't even say, "Yo, man, you know, I borrowed your move. Thanks a lot." Because I know that's that's part of the business. They're supposed to be like, "Yo, man, you know, I did your move. Just want to let you know, uh, I won't do it again." <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> too, too many dudes help themselves to to other people's offense. You know, just like you know, just like you know, Michelle McCool doing the Styles Clash and dropping bitches on their head. Come on, let's not let's not. <laughs> Yeah, especially if you can't do it, don't even try it. You know what I mean? Like, if you can't do it, don't do it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's those things that's it, it's crazy that guys would borrow your moveset, make your moveset look like shit, and then people would be like, yo, man, Amazing Red copied the move off of this guy. It's like, nah, 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 nah. nah. No, yeah, they, 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 people, 
there's really fans that think that I took the move from Alina. <laughs> the, the code red, you know what I mean? You know that's it's so oh, You Malina. didn't take it from me? <laughs> uh, it's, it's crazy, dude. I think I think that's wild shit. Um, I I know I, I got some people calling that want to talk to you, and I know I'm not gonna keep you on the phone till two in the morning. So, um, I I got I'm gonna mute Patrick, but before before Patrick rolls out, we um we need to hear from from GSP before Patrick leaves. Ah, <laughs> uh, so you want to hear from? Uh... Do I drive Rush Sampier? <laughs> there you go. Not impressed by your performance. <laughs> there you go. I, I, we need we needed some GSP on the air. The listeners needed to hear some GSP. Is Bret Hart <laughs> hanging out with GSP? Uh oh. I'm the best there is. The best there was. The best there ever will be. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hopefully, ho- ho- don't catch a stroke like that nigga did. <laughs> no, oh. Let me stop. Let me stop. But, That's crazy. Um, oh, man. Patrick, I, I appreciate you coming through, homie, and, and, and sharing that with us. And, you know, you whenever you want to call through, man, you always got an open-door invite. No, no problem, man. Thanks a lot for having me on the show, and congratulations on the 100 episodes. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. See ya. All right, guys. Peace. Thank you. I felt bad. I had um, I had a uh, Donovan was holding for you, and I had him on. He was on hold for like a hot minute, and then I just went to bring him on, and uh, he hung up. But I know that uh, I know that uh, my nephew is holding somewhere in the switchboard, because I know he wa- he had something to say. Let's see, let's see if he can he can imp- impress us with his performance. Jonathan, is you on here? Hello. Yo, what's up, man? You're on the air with Mason. Yeah, what's going on? Hey. Tell him, man. Uh, what do you got, man? What do you got? Hey, I was listening earlier, and um, the, um, back on the Destin, Destination X thing, I was watching TNA, and I saw just about nothing about it whatsoever. I just wanted to know, like, is that like a big slap in the face to you at all? Uh, it, it kind of is, yeah, but, I, you know, our, our job is actually, you know, obviously do the pay-per-view and, uh, I'm I'm thinking that TNA and the production are doing their job in promoting the pay-per-view. That's what they're supposed to do. I'm not supposed to do that. I do my thing on Twitter where I tell people where the show's going to be, when it's going to be aired, what channel, whatever. But uh, as far as promoting the actual show, and that's that's their job. So I'm thinking that, you know, that job is cleared. So I don't really have to, you know, put my two cents in that. But the thing is, from what I heard from different people and, different fans on Twitter, like a lot of people didn't know about the show. A lot of people didn't even know that even happened or who the match is or it was like uh, no build up to it. I, I was surprised about that because I thought there was, but I guess I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, and it is a slap in the face because we, well, we worked so hard to get in, you know, our own pay-per-view. It's just like a lot of hard work. <laughs> No, I mean, what keeps you with a company like that? I mean, you basically kill yourself, and you're getting pretty much no recognition for it. <laughs> there's, a, you know, the the thing with me is a, this loyalty thing, and I know a lot of people see a lot of the bad parts of TNA and how they treat me or whatever, but there's a lot of good parts to it, you know what I mean, that I don't take for granted and whatever, and 
my thing now is just that I'm still I'm still waiting in the cut, you know, like uh I know I'm a little too old to be waiting still right mm-hmm. now, but uh I don't know. I'm not like that. I like to whoever I'm with, you know, I roll with them until until I can't no more. So I'm just hoping they're wise enough because I still have a lot of years left. Uh all of my X Division boys, they're all bust their ass, they're all off the hook. We have a lot to give and from what a lot of people said, even with the pay per view not getting as much exposure or attention, from what I seen or heard, I, I heard it did pretty good. But as an overall pay per view. They actually did a lot better than a lot of previous pay per views that TNA has had, so if that's not a big wake-up call, I don't know what it is, you know what I mean? Do you expect, like, uh, the Activision actually come back after that happened? That was the idea. <laughs> <laughs> that was I the idea. I don't see how well that worked out, but, like, in the near future, do you think you can see it come back at all? It, it it came back it came back on Sunday. Last Sunday it came back, and it's all good again, you know what I mean? So, it's only been a couple of days, so I'm not I'm not shitting on it completely yet, but uh, so far Exhibition was back for one day. So yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I, I wasn't able to see it actually pay-per-view, but I saw most of the highlights from it. Yeah, it was good. It looked it looked amazing. Yeah, thank no you. No pun intended. <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks. There you go. Huh. You got anything yeah. else you want to ask, John? Yeah, that's about it. It's late. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. All, All right, right, thank I, you. I appreciate you All holding. Right, I gotta thank you for the picture again. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. Bro. Thanks. There you go. All right, homie. Later. See you. Later. All right. Um, I had a, I had a Donovan was holding to ask you a question. He was a a big fan and uh, he was holding off for a minute, but you know we had so much stuff to cover. He he hung up, but the um. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, you got you got House of Glory, you got a couple shows coming up. I know you're doing a, a show on Ron Konkuma with uh for a title match. I think it's a Fatal Four Way. So you got a you got a couple gigs keeping you busy now. But uh, I actually wanted more to focus on the the school only because you guys have been putting in so much work. You guys have got a really um, great assortment of talent there. I mean, one what one of the guys I, I'm a fan of you got in there is, is Panda Man. Panda Man's a good. Uh, a good fan favorite that you guys seem to have put a lot of work into. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, especially now as a teacher, do you help these guys, you know, create their characters and their gimmicks or do they come to you with it first and then you tell them what's right or wrong with it? Yeah, it's, it's usually that. Or uh, Panda had his gimmick like that. And, uh, cause I'm not there as much as I want to be, but, uh, Cousin Joel and uh, Brian XL is, you know, usually there most of the time, and they were talking to them about it. But usually they'll pitch an idea. You know, obviously we're still in the training phase, so gimmicks are not really, you know, an option right now, or it's not really a big thing. We just have to get the, the basics in and practice first. But the thing that we're doing in House of Glory, since we have a little connection here and there, is they get to do, you know, some shows, some uh Kind of like you know, big shows, and that's that's a good that's a plus or whatever because you like you have a good learning experience. You get to see how fans are firsthand. You get to feel how it is to wrestle, the jitters, you know, nervousness. And 
I never had that. Me and my cousin never had that with uh, training with Mikey Whitbrick. We would just train nonstop, you know, for for months and months, and we never had like little tests of shows and stuff. But uh, we have it in the House of Glory, you know. That's a gift that we do do that, and it's a gift that they do it. And I guess that you know that's how he pitches his uh, character or whatever, and they run it by us, and you know we say what's yeah or not. But I, you know, honestly too, we can't. I you know. I don't really pick, if someone shows me a gimmick, I don't really pick if it's good or not because I don't even know how fans are, are going to react to it. Fans are different, you know. Fans are weird in the sense that, you know, sometimes they like evil shit. Sometimes they like good stuff. They like weird stuff. So I remember this one time this gimmick, this, this guy had like a weird gimmick. And in my brain, I didn't think it was going to work. But when he wrestled, he was over. So I I guess, you know, that's up to the fans. And that's <laughs> We kind of like uh, freestyle that, you know, like, oh, well, go outside and see if we know it's good or not. Well, yeah, you have you have so many guys that are that are developing just from the couple of shows I've seen, and I've seen improvements. There was one guy who um, who I actually felt was really good, and then I didn't see him again, and I think he's he's actually working as someone else. But but Kid Glory was 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 a good character that you guys were working with. Yeah. That was one of yeah, that was I, one of the earlier matches when I saw it, and I was like, "Damn, that that kid has that kid has talent." Yeah, it's, you know, uh, we we got a lot of students, and then we lose a bunch, then we get more. It's like it's, it's just it's, it's hard right now, you know, money wise, and <laughs> I guess people and the how hard you know it is to balance a job now with anything else. A lot of people have jobs that uh, kind of you know, interfere with the wrestling training and the times of the wrestling training. So that kind of, like, sucks, too. I, I, I'm trying to... We're trying to build the school big enough so we can have a morning uh, training, day, uh, training day or whatever and then a night one. Because right oh. now we just got, like, an afternoon, like, from 4 to 8, around there, 4 to 9. Yeah, you guys have. And you guys also are doing open mat now, which um, I had actually wanted to ask you about with the, with the open mat... Are you guys getting any, you know, any diamonds in the rough, any natural talent that comes in there? Well, usually the, uh, the open gym thing is usually like for, like, indie wrestlers who already, like, you know, wrestled before and they know, you know, their basics and stuff like that. Just for them to use the ring and practice their moves or if they want to get in and do a workout, you know, we get in there with them, we roll around or whatever. And uh, usually we get people who just started in, in the independence or whatever, and they ended up they end up like just working out with us, and they're like, oh, you know, oh shit, I didn't know a lot of the, a lot of the stuff, and then it gets them to join the gym later on, you know, like cause a lot of people right now they don't really know the legit basics of wrestling, they're just doing what they see on TV or they're doing. A lot of people are taking you know these kids' money, you know, like trying to charge too much for the school and showing them stupid stuff that you know they made up themselves and trying to like work them, you know, to having them think that they're coming out a better wrestler and knowing all that. And then they, they come to our school to practice and you can see an open gym and they do a lot of shitty things, you know, like stuff that they can get hurt, they can hurt the other guy. And I don't like stuff like that because then I start right away, who trained you? You know, where did you come from? Did you train? You know, who's your teacher and stuff? Like, you should know all these things already. You know, you're already doing independence. You're already you know, out into the indie world, you can hurt somebody. You can kill yourself. You know what I mean? Like, wrestling is dangerous. 
we're signing up to hurt our bodies. You know what I mean? Like that. <laughs> that's that's just how it is. Wrestling, you're gonna hurt your body regardless. You're, you're like right. you know, you're signing up for punishment. Every move you do in wrestling hurts your body. So you have to love this business to be in it. And oh yeah, you have to sleep and breathe. And I've seen I've seen some guys in there that, especially with 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 all the shows I've seen you guys put on at the school. As a as a as an outsider, you know, I always feel very awkward there with you guys because I'm exactly that an outsider and a, you know, in in getting an inside look at wrestling. But just watching it as a as an outsider and as a fan, you can you get the vibe of who wants to be there and who doesn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's, it, it it's a good judge of character just to see you guys in there working with these guys and teaching them. And then, you know, when the shows are over, you see who wants to be there and who wants to bust their ass and who wants to talk about their matches and wants to know what's going on. I mean, that's one thing I like, I like seeing, but I do see, you know, who who don't want to be there. And it's, it's crazy that it comes to that because it's, it's a profession that if you're good at it can solidify you for, for generations to come, you know, people will be talking about you 20 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want like, like, you know, good, Got you know good guys that really love wrestling. They love the business, the business of wrestling, and that really want to do it. Uh, and you know, you know, spend their time, you know, learning moves or thinking about stuff and gimmicks and learning how to improve and help us out. You know, because we're helping you out. You help us out also. Uh, I I don't want the guys who have big heads already and they do one show like these House of Glory shows, these PWS shows, these ICW shows that. You get put on. These are all gifts. You know what I mean? You guys are lucky to be getting stuff like that. And it's like some of them do those shows and they have a big head already. Like, oh, you know, I can do something else. I don't have to be here. I'm already done with training. No, you're not done with training. You just you're just testing the waters, man. Like, uh, there's a lot to learn. I don't like I don't like like I, honestly, I don't need your money after that. You know what I mean? Like, don't come to my school if you're gonna be like that. Because honestly, we don't need your money. Whatever we're we're doing this as a family, you know what I mean? Like, we're trying to build good wrestlers here, people who want to be in the business. I'm trying to get rid of all these people in wrestling, in the wrestling business now that, that, that they're just taking up space. That annoys me, wrestlers that take up space. I don't like people who, wrestlers who, who are in the business who just take up space and just take all the money and leave shit for guys like us and, you know, and my boys or whatever. I, I don't like it. If you're not in the wrestling business, I'm not saying you have to kill yourself, you know, in matches, but... You know, don't just come to the wrestling business and shit on it so bad and then, like, still do shows. You know, like, you're a hypocrite. Just get out. Do something else. Get on the job. Don't stay in wrestling. You're taking up space, bro. Well, that's that's the worst part. It's like you you invest so much energy into into training these guys. And, and, you know, you see the guys doing their promo work and, and trying to get out there and do that. But the the indie scene is, is difficult, especially when you're starting out because right now like you said it's a gift but when you started and when you were on one of our first episodes especially when you were telling me you were working in pr and you were doing the indies here that's that's a long road you know you're traveling from from venue to venue you know rent a car trying to get there by bus by train just to go in there and get you know whatever the the 500 for a show or 250 for a show like like when you really love that shit that's what you do but the problem is that now it's becoming "Quote unquote easier for these guys to get out there that they just feel it's it's a false yeah, sense way, of way easier, way easier. This guy, this kids in Japan who go to Japan who don't have 
a legit like uh, training background. You know what I mean? Like they didn't really pay their dues and stuff like that, and they just get shipped to Japan and they get shipped to these TV shows. Like they're they get put on these MTV shows and you know what I mean? Like you know, I'm not hating on being. You know, it just it's just it, this business. You know, you have to pay your dues, bro. You have to. That's how you learn. If you don't do that, you're not learning. You're not really a wrestler. You're not really a pro wrestler to me. And then that's that's when I have no respect for you. Like, and then and then you're gonna sit there on top of having the easy road, the easy way in, and then you're gonna shit on my company. Yes, I know wrestling is bad right now. A lot of things go through bad, you know, uh, changes or whatever. But for someone like that that doesn't, you know what I mean, like has the heat, don't talk about wrestling, bro. Get out of here. Seriously. No, it's a, it's crazy that that people would would sit there and acknowledge that wrestling is bad, but then and this goes into something that that you know mismentioned. Also, the fans are a big part of that because if you're a fan, it's and you know she she gave a great example with the NBA. It's like the NBA can be locked out, but you know every basketball player, you know where they're you know where they're uh, where they're playing, you know their road schedule and everything else. And when it comes to wrestling, it's like the fan sometimes get feels they know too much, and then you ask them about yeah. older, and they don't they don't have an understanding. So it's like it, when you take a fan like that that actually goes into the business, it, it does more harm than good because they're not appreciating all the hard work that that a lot of a lot of people laid out there first. Yeah, they're skipping right over you know all the important stuff of wrestling, and it's like. All these kids making videos on YouTube talking about how much they know about wrestling and giving reviews of matches here and there. And these guys are actually becoming wrestlers. You know what I mean? Like it's weird how this shit happens. I don't understand. Yeah, you you take you take a guy that does a couple of YouTube videos, then decides to try his hand at some wrestling. You know, pays five hundred bucks, goes to a to a to a passable school, does a couple of indies, and all of a sudden he knows the difference between a four star match and a one-star match, and there's there's a lot more just watching you guys do it, you know, the realm of psychology that's in there and just the the, the way that you got to work on selling it and the, and the fact that you got to work very tight to make it look, you know, to make it look correct is is a testament to itself. But some of these guys, they want to they go out there, get sloppy, and then hope to get noticed and put in FCW or something and get that call-up. And then they wonder why they're down there for 10 years, you know? Yeah, my, my little... Uh thing that I go by is just I'm in the match or whatever and I'm trying to have a good match at the same time trying to protect my opponent. You know what I mean? Like trying to... I don't want him to get hurt. I mean, obviously, I don't want to get hurt, but a good enough match where I, I you know, I'm trying to protect him. That's my job. I, that's that's me. That's how I always think. If he's good, then I'm good. And then that's how usually how we have a good match. If you go in there thinking about you, 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 and like you want to get over it and you want to uh, go stiff and try to look cool in front of people and oh man he hits hard or he chops hard or uh, you know he does these little sick moves and you know not caring about the guy you're in there with you're doing this shit completely backwards you're in there you know as it, you know you're like a, it's, it's a team man it's teamwork it's not just for you bro uh, the guy especially you know whoever's jobbing to you whoever's going over. It's a team thing, and there's a lot of people going in there now just, like, thinking about themselves and trying to... Everybody now wants to be stiff, like a Japan wrestler. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to do a sick finisher, drop them on the heads. 
and like uh, half, you know, paralyze the guy, and maybe I can get over after I paralyze the guy and get the crowd, having the crowd saying, "Holy shit!" You know, it's not, <laughs> it's not like that, man. And people just get the wrong idea now, man. It's not like that. It took me a while to get the idea too. I, when I first was out there, I was doing every move in the book, every move in <laughs> the sun I was doing. You know, like just because I like entertaining people. I didn't do it because I thought I was gonna blow up like that. I never thought I was gonna be in something like TNA or even go to WWE and have a dark match. I never thought that. I was just doing it because I loved it, you know, and if I did a million suicide dives or uh, backflips or shooting stars, I did it to get the pops in the crowd and the saying, yeah, you know, it's, it's, of course it's not green of me, but I was green. But obviously now I don't, you know, I, I know it's different. You don't have to do all that shit. I don't have to kill myself like that. Well, that's a, that's the thing with it's all it's almost on the same level when you look at acting it's it's all about your performance if you go out there and you play the same type of character all the time it wears thin like going out there and being multifaceted and adding you know different moves and being varied is what keeps people interested like you can put somebody in front of a microphone and they can cut an awesome promo and wrestle like shit and they're either going to get over with their mic work or they're going to get over with their wrestling it, you know there's a, there's a, a couple of instances where guys have a great combination of both, but you and I both know that there's guys out there that they're fantastic on the microphone, but then they wrestle and you want to go take a shit. Then there's guys that, uh, you know, then there's guys that, you know, it's almost like they got a ventriloquist doing their promos for them, but they go out there and have one of the greatest matches ever. I mean, Benoit is a great example. Benoit got a lot of shit for, for being awful on the mic, but his, you know, the, the level of intensity that guy had and the wrestling, the wrestling that he put out there, spoke volumes. He didn't need to go out there and cut flashy promos. Same thing with, with Brian Danielson, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people out different, you know. You can get over one way or get over the other way, so uh, that, that's where I'm at. <laughs> that's where I'm at right now. Well, I'm still trying so, to work on the other one. <laughs> man, we, we'll get there, homie. I don't, give, I don't give a shit if you gotta come out for 150 episodes and cut promos in, uh, on the air. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna make that happen, but... um. You know, but before I let you go, of course, you're going to be wrestling this weekend at the uh, for Wrestle Jam, right? Yeah, the Dallas Lodge, Queens Boulevard. It is in Queens so, Boulevard. I thought it was listed in Connecticut for that. Oh no, Wrestle Jam is in the. From what I saw, it was in Queens. It was the Elf Lodge. Oh well, you better you better check that out, man, because they got it listed at the Elf Lodge in in Hamden, in Connecticut. Are you serious? All right, yep. let me check that. <laughs> One seventy-five School Street, because I was gonna say you got a match with uh, Gran Akuma, which is uh, very amusing. Yeah, yeah, that, that... yeah. Okay, so I, thank you. I would have been confused. I would have went to my own house lunch. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, you, Gran Akuma, and Frankie Arion are gonna be wrestling this weekend. And in addition to that, of course, you uh, people can go and learn wrestling at House of Glory. Yes. But um. <sighs> Yeah, I, I, I see. You got a little, you got a little uh, mental, uh, mental fart there with that. Yeah, but you will be in Connecticut, homie. So make sure you get your details straight. I'm sorry, man. It's really late. <laughs> I'm really tired. Ah, man. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna let you get some sleep. Just um, like I said, you can see Amazing Red wrestle uh, this weekend if you're in Connecticut at the Elks Lodge for Wrestle Jam Seven. He's gonna be in a three-way match with Gran Akuma and Frankie Arion. Of course, you can get information for House of Glory Wrestling at houseofgloryrestlingonline.com, correct? Yes, there you go. And 
you can follow him on Twitter at AmazingRed1 and uh, keep an eye out for that. And if you are a fan of Amazing Red's work, make your voice be heard. Hit up Impact Wrestling on Twitter. Hit them up on Facebook. Let them know that, you know, we want Red. Use that as a hashtag out there. Make sure that people are informed. If you guys want to bitch about wrestling so much, do something about it and make sure your voices are heard to get your favorite performers on television. Right? Nicely said. Very good. (laughs) There you go, homie. Well, I appreciate you calling in and celebrating our 100th episode, man. I'm going to let you get some rest. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll definitely talk soon. Thanks so much, Rich. Uh, congrats on your show, man. Uh, congrats to My Take Radio. You guys are off the hook. And uh, thank you for all the, you know, even since the first show, man, we've been cool. So uh, thank you for that. Yeah, man. You know we got you, homie. Yeah. All right, brother. Peace. All right, take care, man. Later. All right, folks, that was Amazing Red. Like I said, Wrestle Jam 7. You can actually find that on Facebook as well. Just punch in Wrestle Jam 7 if you want to get tickets. Tickets are going to be $15. Uh, bell time is at 7.30. Doors open at 7. You can also get a VIP package ticket for $20, and the doors open at 6.15 for that. Like I said, Gran Akuma, Frankie Arion, and The Amazing Red are going to be wrestling in a three-way match in addition to that. Uh, Brian XL is going to be wrestling Cobalt. Brian XL is one of the teachers at Amazing Red School. Uh, very talented. Do yourselves a favor. Punch up Brian XL on YouTube. Do your homework and uh, get yourselves educated. And like I said, if you're a fan and you're really tired of the wrestling product, you got plenty of avenues to make your voices be heard. Facebook, Twitter, uh, email. Just put it out there. I mean, even tonight when Sting won the belt on Impact, I kind of said it. I'm like, I'm like, all right, way, way to have Sting pretend to be the Joker. And I used the hashtag Impact Wrestling. And I also used the hashtag Fuck Out of Here Sting only because it's an embarrassment to see that happen when you got so many guys on there. You know, why don't put the belt on Christopher Daniels, put the belt on AJ Styles, put the belt on guys that don't need to wake up, take three painkillers and some Geritol to be able to take a leak in the morning. Uh, that's all I'm saying. If, if you're if you're a legit fan, and, and and not a fan that watches the occasional pay-per-view, but a legit fan, you would go out of your way to ensure that your performers and your favorite wrestlers are seen on television, period. I'm not even saying it because of, uh, of the relationship we have with Red, because I have no problem going on Twitter or even coming on the show and saying, hey, Impact was great this week. You guys have heard me say it. Or... Raw or SmackDown was badass this week. I will say that. I will acknowledge the positives, but you know what? The negatives tend to outweigh that. Um, Obviously, a lot of stuff fell through the cracks. I knew it was going to happen for our 100th show. Um, I am going to try and just run through some gaming stuff real quick. So, with that said, let's uh, play a little bit of that video game intro and try and get some stuff out of the way before we wrap things up for this 100th episode. All right. On some video game news, first off, the EA announced that they will be releasing a new Burnout called Burnout Crash, but it will be exclusive for Xbox Live Arcade and the PSN Network. It will be available in fall 2011, and it's actually going to be 
a little bit different. It has a, a slightly top-down view, and the game will be rewarding players for causing traffic chaos, such as crashing cars, causing explosions, and destroying everything in sight. The game is being powered by the Autolog technology, so players will be able to connect, compete, and compare high scores in order to master the art of the disaster crown. The Autolog challenges will also let players go head-to-head -head with their friends. The game is going to have 18 crash junctions in six unique locations. You're also going to have, as usual, a variety of vehicles to unlock, and you're also going to be, uh, it's also going to unlock high-value targets that you'll be able to seek and destroy. Another thing that will be a first, this will be the first EA game on Xbox Live that will feature a game mode designed for the Kinect. This particular mode is going to let two teams use gesture controls to play on one TV in a party battle. If you want more information on that, you can head over to CriterionGames.com. In some downloadable content news, uh, Dragon Age 2 will be getting some new DLC on July 26th. It's going to be a brand new expansion that will let you take Hawk uh, take Hawk to the Vinmark Mountains, which is going to be a new locale in the game. And also, you're going to have uh, some, new, uh, some other new locations, darkspawn enemies, and a new class of specific weapons and achievements. You're also going to be able to play that from any point in the campaign, and it's going to run you $10 on the PSN network or 800 Microsoft points on Xbox Live. In some pre-order release news, the Saints Row the Third is going to be releasing a special Platinum Pack, which actually looks pretty badass. You're going to get a, uh, a game soundtrack, but also a custom headset, which actually looks similar to some Skull Candy headphones I've seen. In addition to that, you're going to get all the exclusive downloadable content, and you're going to get uh, Professor Genki's Hyper Ordinary Pre-order Pack as well. That's probably going to run you $99, and you'll be able to pre-order that probably from any of your local retailers. I did want to reference something that happened recently, and I'm sure Slick is probably going to be annoyed about this. But if you go on Amazon, and I think it was a gold, a gold box special, or it's actually an ongoing special, you can pick up the infamous Legendary Edition now for $49.99, which I'm sure for somebody like Slick who paid full price, it's really fucked up. But this is one of those things that frustrates me with these legendary and special edition packs where, you know, they go, you pay the 100 bucks, and then a month or two later, you'll pick up that same pack for 50 bucks or for the, the standard issue price. Very unfortunate, but if you are a Saints Row fan, the, platinum, the third platinum pack will be available very soon. I wanted to make sure that in this week's episode, we talked a little bit about the MPD numbers because, of course, they did drop some numbers out. Uh, first thing I want to tell you guys is that the game sales were actually down $1.1 billion from now this year at $103 billion, a bit of a drop there. Microsoft, of course, took the opportunity to tout the fact that they're the only console in the U.S. to continue showing growth from the previous year selling 507,000 units. The company claims that this is nearly twice as many units as other current generation platforms sold during the month of June. Now, with regards to your top 10 titles on the MPD side of things, here are your top 10 titles. Number 10, Just Dance 2 for the Wii. Number 9 was Cars 2 available on the DS, the Wii, 360, PS3, and PC. Number 8, Mortal Kombat, available on the PlayStation 3 and the Xbox 360. 
NBA 2K11 was number seven. Call of Duty Black Ops was number six. The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D, available for the 3DS, was number five. It is the first uh, 3DS exclusive game to make it on the list. Lego Pirates of the Caribbean, the video game, was number four. Infamous 2 was number three. Duke Nukem Forever was number two, which is pretty fucking crazy. And L.A. Noir was the best-selling game for the month of June on the 360 and the PS3. A little crazy considering how, 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 how shitty people said Duke Nukem was. I think that part of the reason why it got so, so many good, well, so many, uh, such a high placement, excuse me, on the MPD list was because of the fact that they had a lot of hype going into it. And of course they didn't deliver, but Duke Nukem was your number two best-selling game for the month of June. Now, I'm going to take one more commercial break, and we are going to try and toss a couple of of movie news out there for you guys before we wrap up this 100th episode. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to go to commercial only because I think we have nine minutes of show left, so let's just go right into movies. be fair to open the movie segment with the what the fuck movie news that I wanted to tell you guys about and it's the fact that a couple of episodes back I discussed the the potential for an asteroids movie that was going to be coming out which we all laughed about and talked shit about and blah 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 but if you thought an asteroids movie a monopoly movie and a risk movie were bad and even a candyland movie were shit get ready for another one Heat Vision is reporting that Lorenzo D. Bonaventura and Gigi Pritzker are working on a film adaptation of Space Invaders. Do not adjust your headset. Do not adjust your speakers. That is correct. There will be a movie version of Space Invaders. The two are, lo- are currently looking for a writer for the project, and the, ga- and the film would be based on the game that was released in 1978. Now, obviously, we all know and we... We've we beat this into the ground, how unoriginal Hollywood is, but it really shows how really, how low they've sunk to actually create a movie based on Asteroids, number one, and to even create a movie based on Space Invaders, which is, which is just as crazy, only because they're going to find some way to do some hacky game shit, just like they did with Doom, where, you know, they figured that by, you know, doing doing the shit with The Rock and all of a sudden making the game, the movie first person that the fans were going to eat it up. Mindless popcorn flick, possibly. Good video game film, negative. I think that one of the, the crazy things with something like Space Invaders is the fact that there's not much of a plot to that movie. If you want to make a movie based on Space Invaders, just watch Independence Day at this point. It's, it's, it's really embarrassing. I actually like what Spill Bag of Ice wrote in the in in the chat he said that he would actually write the story for space invaders but he wants that anderson silver money and you know what i respect him 100 percent for saying that because you know what if you if i'm going to write a steaming pile of shit like that i'm going to take all the money i can get 
But I'm not going to beat that up too much because I actually want to share a bit of casting news with you guys. And it's a rumor that Adam West is rumored to be making a cameo in The Dark Knight Rises. As of right now, there's, uh, it hasn't been 100% confirmed. In the past, Adam West has said that he'd like to play Bruce Wayne's father, possibly in a flashback. In 2008, he said that the following quote, I like Christian Bale. I've heard he's a big fan of mine, but I certainly reciprocate. I think he's really very good. I'd love to play his father. Something where, you know, the, where he thinks back to his dad when times get rough and et cetera, et cetera. I honestly think that involving Adam West would be really good. I just feel that his level of campiness at this point may detract a little bit from The Dark Knight Rises, but hey, who knows? I think, I, I think just hearing that is kind of a, 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 of an homage to the old Batman isn't necessarily a bad thing. I'd be interested to see how they would do that, and if he was going to play Bruce Wayne's father, I think it would be very interesting to see. So if I get any more information on that, I will let you guys know. Um, I actually had something else to share with you guys. Ah, yes, you can actually consider this these two bits of movie news also what-the-fuck movie news. Number one is the fact that uh, there will be an Evil Dead remake. Sam Raimi's Ghost House, Pic- Ghost House Pictures has found a director. The director's name is Fetty Alvarez. He's going to be uh, working with Ghost House, and Bruce Campbell did confirm it via Twitter. He said, believe in the remake, dog. The project is real, in the works, cool as hell, and scary as hell. So straight from Bruce Campbell, you are going to get a remake of Evil Dead. Now, couple of episodes back, I also discussed the possibility of a RoboCop remake, and it's starting to actually gain some legs with a rumor stating that Chris Pine is reportedly the top choice for the RoboCop remake. Pine is expected to take the lead role of the film, portraying RoboCop made famous, of course, by Peter Weller in the original films. Now, Chris Pine is too pretty to play RoboCop. And Spillbag actually reminded me that Diablo Cody is rumored to be writing the Evil Dead remake. I've also heard that as well. I totally forgot to put that in the notes. So uh, big gold star to Spillbag for sharing that. I don't know how I feel about an Evil Dead remake, and that's something I really would like to touch upon uh, probably next week. So that we'll, we'll keep that we'll keep that on the back burner for now. Moving on, last two bits of movie news. David Goyer is penning the screenplay for the next Godzilla film from Legendary Pictures. It's based on a draft from David Callahan. Goyer, as you know, worked on Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy and has also worked on the upcoming Superman film with Zack Snyder. The plan is allegedly to approach the character in the most authentic way possible. Gareth Edwards is scheduled to direct. Gareth Edwards did Monsters, which was actually pretty good. Number one. You want to portray this movie in the most authentic way possible. Keep Matthew Broadwick, the Broadrick, excuse me, not Broadrick. Keep him the fuck away from the movie, number one. Don't make Godzilla look like a giant iguana. That's number two. Don't do any hacky shit where Godzilla has to come to New York. It's played and it sucks. Do Godzilla like we know in the rubber costume. If you want to do it CGI, that's great. If you want to update the rubber costume and use CGI elements, that's fine. But keep it in the traditional kaiju medium that we all know and love, and we'll be fine. If you decide to make him look like a giant iguana or a fucking gecko or something I'd buy at Petco, it's going to suck. And I'm telling you that right off the bat. Well, folks, I just got the 
uh, the warning from the English lady, so I'm going to wrap up the show. Uh, you've just heard My Take Radio episode 100 for Thursday, July 14, 2011. If you have any questions or concerns or would like to be a guest, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're on Twitter, you can follow the show there at mytakeradio and look for us on our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash mytakeradio. All right, guys, I'll catch you guys next week. Thank you for your continued support. Onwards to episode 101. Peace. Taking us out this week will be the Ryu stage, Satsui no Koto by Zircon and Josh Morse off the OC Remix, Heroes and Villains official soundtrack. You can get that at ocremix.org.